Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. And we're gonna party like it's 2011 because it's the Whitecaps. 10th anniversary of being in Major League Soccer, 10 years in MLS, March 19th, 2011 was when the first game kicked off, TFC 4-2 win, we're going to be covering a lot about that in tonight's show, we've got some special guests that played in that match as well, some of you may have seen our live YouTube video that we did on Friday where we chatted with Gershon Kofi. He's going to be in tonight's show, as is Russell Tybert. We're also going to hear from the man that was president of the Southsiders in 2011, John Knox, known to many people as Johnny Monster. And yeah, we're we're repping all the gear. I'm wearing my 2011 away kit. Steve is wearing the, the 2011 home kit. Zach is wearing his beard that he's been growing since 2011. He does have his Gershon Kofi, uh, um, Gershon Kofi hoodie, man. A hoodie. So, yeah, and he was on the 2011 team. So, I have a poncho that I I threw during the the live broadcast. So, it's it's all great, great stuff. Now, one thing we were actually going to mention in the live show that I completely forgot about, and still the show went for an hour and forty two minutes. Don't worry, this is not going to be another three hour show. And last week's show of three hours involved me cutting stuff out to get it down to three hours. That's how much stuff we had last week. And we've also brought out two extra podcasts as well. So who knows how long this is going to be, but I'm pretty sure it's not going to be three hours. But the the one thing that we, we didn't talk about during the live show was what our thoughts and memories are of 2011 season, but in particular, that inaugural game, the TFC game, I'll, I'll share mine in, in a few minutes. Let, let's kick off with Steve. What, what's your memories of that TFC game back in 2011? It was just, uh, uh, honestly, I know it sounds cliche, but the, the stadium it felt like electric. It was a perfect setting. Like, I honestly don't think that, I don't think it was, wouldn't have been as good as if, it, BC, if BC Place was ready. And um, it, it was like, you know, on its on its way. Like, I, I think the, the way I kind of sat off to the south, so kind of like, you know, where they always go, 
that said East got East End, you know, stand up or whatever with that chant from that year. Um, so I was just off to this off to the side. But you know, when you're sitting there or standing and you're like looking over at the mountains, it was a fantastic view and stuff like that. So I just loved it. I, I love that place. Even when the days it rained, it was fantastic. It it was an absolutely beautiful view. I mean, to it, that was Vancouver in a nutshell in that stadium. The stadium itself, I think it's it's easy to look back at it before in memories. I don't know how fit for purpose it really was no. from a, a fan's point of view. Getting in and out of your seats was a pain in the ass. Yeah. They, they were that's, cramped. That, that, that's why I got the end seats. I mean, you would be like that, so I got the end seats, so I had plenty of leg room. Oh, I think I was... Let's see, I've got my thing here. Uh, section 217, row J... Seat 14. So right in the middle of the row. That's probably why my memories of that is, is not great. But I mean, the view was fantastic. When you were bouncing and making noise on the bleachers, it was great. I had a season ticket, front row of the south side. I spent some games there, some in the press box. It, elsewhere in the stadium, I mean, it wasn't great for getting around. It wasn't yeah. great for getting in and out of. The players Bathroom. had to change in porta cabins. Bathroom facilities weren't that great. Yeah. Oh, lineups for it as well. It's like horrendous. So, I mean, it's easy to look back and go, oh, I missed that. But I still do. It's like, but then I, I have seen football played in a lot of shitholes in, in Scottish stadiums and in, in lower league yeah. Scottish football. But, I mean, Zach, what, what's your memories? Like, let's take it back to, like, pre-match. Where were you pre-match? Oh man, uh, I don't remember everything about about all that, but I do remember. I don't know if I went into Oscars that day because it was so packed. Oh, it was jam packed. Uh, I remember joining up and being a part of the march, getting to the stadium, and then like stopping and getting like leaving the march so I could watch like the flow of people. It was an epic march. Um, so kudos to um, you know Johnny and Brett and all the Southsiders who who helped make that happen that day because it was. Yeah, it was memorable. It wasn't the longest march in the world, but it was significant. It was it was a march that could have yeah. It was it was it was a march to remember for sure. I, I like like you guys or like you, Michael. I had two options for seats. I had we had front row seats in in the south side. Uh, I forget even what section it was called at Empire, but one of the south side sections. And um, our other season tickets for uh, for that year, even though at BC Place they were on the other side of the stadium. Um, we they ended up at Empire because the configurations are nowhere near being equal. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it didn't help that they'd forgotten certain rows of seats initially as well oh, at BC Place. Yes. Yes. Oh man. So yeah, our other my other tickets ended up being front row, right in front of where the players walked in and out, mm. um, with some with some people that you know became La Dolce Vancouver. Yeah. And then it was a, was a, essentially a birthing ground for Curver Collective. Um, and so, yeah, but, but then for that game, I was like, yeah, I was with the South side. My, my wife came to the game, my son, who was, I think he was like underage. So he didn't have a ticket. He came what he like was on our shoulders and standing on the, the bench with us. Yeah. Cause he was two. So yeah, he got in with us. So yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. I think I, I think they met me at the stadium that day cause I wasn't with them for the March for sure. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, it was, it, it was just awesome. And you guys are right. Like Steve, you're, you're bang on, like you wouldn't get that same kind of, vibe in bc place even if you had like you know extra people that you could fit in there the the yeah. view but like, even with the the roof open you still would oh, not have captured no. things the way that that open no. air sitting not even close it. the yeah. view the view added so much to it 
It's it sucked because they had to share with the pigskin people, so the supporters were kind of far away at the bat at the end. Yeah, the zone, I had but... season tickets for the the Lions as well when they played out of Empire. Oh, which yeah, it would have been nicer to see them outside. But um, but yeah, the, like the atmosphere, there was more. It was more like a for me personally, it was there was more like a buzz because there was like massive growing pains, which is again I think part of why Curve Collective started. Mm. There was massive growing pains in terms of like the actual way to support uh and all that kind of stuff right like i think i don't know if you remember that day michael but i think it was like each half there was eight songs sung like four times and then repeated in the oh, second half like it was not repetition it was, was terrible yeah it was not great but it was it was growing pains like that's I, oh I, yeah i don't i don't I'm not blaming anyone for that it was it was part of you know where things were at and where things were going and what was possible and all that kind of stuff and um well, yeah because so you, you can't expect people to suddenly learn chance that they've maybe never sang at a big event like that before and it's a bit alien to them but yeah yeah well i, I mean but the I flip mean, side of that is you don't learn unless you hear the stuff either exactly exactly there's yeah there's different ways to look at that and you're right though C- culture here is not a singing in public culture like there's you know um maybe if you go to a religious gathering or you go to a concert but those are the two places maybe people sing out loud, you know, feel comfortable singing out loud. And sporting events, is, yeah, is not really, uh, not really a part of that. Although you know, football has grown that in the city. Um, but so, but it will. So even though that was not ideal in my, in, for, for me personally, still just being there with some people I had supported with for so long, even though we were spread out and stuff, it was just yeah, it was really really memorable. And then I think in this case, what what happened on the pitch just made it like took it over the top like so the scenery is nice but if you lose 4-2 instead of winning 4-2 with memorable goals and moments i think that that this day is less celebrated and and, yes. and, and the memory is diminished um so the the way the players played my memories are and i've shared this lots of times on the show before but is of for some reason that was aaron vinter right for toronto yes yeah aaron vinter i think i think he cost that that game for tfc and I love Adrian Khan. I uh, grew up going to a rival high school. I grew up very close to him. Uh, I got to know him when he came to Vancouver. Loved him when he was in Vancouver. Followed him when he went to Europe. But the, I still can't fathom. I still just cannot comprehend how, how Aaron Vinter started him at left back in that game. Like, it, it makes no sense to me. Like, and again, nothing against Adrian Khan. He's not a left back. And so Tater, yeah, when you talk to Tater, he says, uh, you know, he switched Davide before the game from Vancouver's left side to Vancouver's right side so he could just have a field day. Yeah, that was the phrase I was going to use, and he did have a field day. Yeah, and that, sh- and that shaped things. Yeah. I guess the other, the other, one of the other things that stands out, uh, without going into all the details of all the goal, was um, obviously Eric's goal, first ever goal, was huge, the, the ponchos, all that kind of stuff. I think it was the second goal. Was Terry's the second one? Yeah, Terry's was second. Yes. Terry's was the second one. And so, again, we've talked about this a long, long time ago. But when Terry scores and he makes that long run and jump and he jumps into the stands, he jumps into the arms of Massimo's brother and his whole crew. They're all there. And he jumps into Massimo's brother's arms. And so a memorable moment with, like, a personal connection. Just, like, yeah, that's – like, I'll never forget that. And um, t- Terry, for all his – all the abuse he, t- he took from supporters here the time he was here – um is a really quality guy and a really really nice guy uh and really respectful guy and a, uh i have a lot of time for him 
the one thing about the the one goal that I uh, really enjoyed, um, be- mostly because that uh, my my kid was I think it was around five, and he had kind of come to training sometimes. Uh, he 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 uh, West Knight became his favorite player. Oh. So when he assisted on that goal, uh, although my kid wasn't there to enjoy it, uh, I enjoyed it on his behalf and because the West was so nice to him, right? So. It, it was a it was a it was a special goal for that one. I really wish he had tried to score, but uh, it shows that how you know quality of a player he was. And that was a moment too where you just like you felt, even though it was early and we were obviously naive, you felt like okay, there's something special with this team because you're right. Like West Knight, if he was selfish, would have went for goal. Like he had a, a yeah. chance to score. And he never he never ever scored never a first scored. team goal for the. But the, Caps. the fact that he did that he set that up for the sure goal was just like, like it was just, it was perfect. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many memories from that day. And I know I'm bad for looking back, rose tinted glasses. And I think, Oh, it's great. And it's funny. Cause when I interview folk, like we've got a, an interview that's going to be in the next podcast uh, with Maxime Cripo. And I say to him, I don't like looking back too much. I, like to more look ahead and that's kind of ironic because this bulk of this show is about us looking back at 2011 but when I say that I mean looking back and analyzing things like analyzing last season what's the point now it's it's done and dusted but looking back at something special like this 10 years ago it, it's it's a day like I don't like how do you guys feel do you guys feel like it's 10 years ago because I can remember it like yesterday it seems like it's a closer time than like last year. Like <laughs> yeah. cause, cause actually, last, yes. <laughs> last year seems like forever, but uh, ten years ago it seems like it's been, you know, it just like you said, it just feels like it happened yesterday. Mm. It maybe helps because I've got like the videos and I've watched them, and the Caps did some stuff last year when the the, the shutdown happened on the game like a, a year early. I just think it's a momentous day. I haven't actually had a look to see what Portland's done today, but we, we're going to talk about Portland in, in a later part. It helps for me that it's also my mother's birthday, so it's always ah. March nineteenth, always a special day in our house. Yeah, that that's true. But the game itself, we're not not going to analyze it. We'll just talk a, a little bit more about it. The game itself it was a four-two win. It was a comfortable win for Vancouver. Now, when you left the stadium that day, Zach's touched on it there. You, you couldn't help but think, oh, this is this is great. We're in MLS. We've won our first game. We've played well. This is going to be a great season. BTFC. And basically, that's what the season was. It, it's crazy to look back on that game now. And not only was that the highlight of that season, although right up there is the SKC 3-3 dramatic yeah. comeback game. But looking back at 10 years in MLS, it's still right up there with one of the best White Cats moments in MLS. Yeah, 100%. Um, the, uh, unfortunately, because there haven't been that many more moments that <laughs> would have exceeded it. But um, yeah, it's just a, it's something new. And it's the start of something new. And and like you said, you went after when you leave that game and you win 4-2 against a team that is considered a strong team in the league, um, you, you have high expectations. And then you had players like, and, and we didn't even know about these players that much before they came in, but you got like Eric Hassley scoring two goals. You got uh, David Cumiento all over the pitch, um, distributing and everything. And you got Alan Rochat running up and down the left side. And you got Jay Demerit at the back. 
there was a lot to be excited about. Uh, even I think uh, Russell Tybert had a big, uh, pretty good showing in that game, if I'm not mistaken, too, as a youngster. So there was a lot of things that you could look forward to after that. Yeah, I mean, he definitely did. Like, starting lineup for that day, Jay Norley, Jonathan Leathers, Jay Demerit, Michael Boxall, Alan Rashad, Davide Kimiento, Gershon Kofi, Terry Dunfield, Russell Tybert, Tiba Harris, Eric Hasley. Coming off the bench as subs were Nietzsche Kalfan, Wes Knight, and Camilo made an appearance with seven minutes to go. Whatever happened to him? But I mean, there's so many iconic moments from that day. Hasley's pose with the badge in his mouth. That's like one of those photos. Dunfield jumping into the crowd. And you, you talked about Russell Tybert there. The only guy from that team, the only guy from that squad, still with the Whitecaps 10 years on. He celebrated 10 years of signing a professional deal with the Whitecaps this week. Was given a presentation by the Southsiders and Rain City Brigade. He'd obviously been through with the Whitecaps before that, moving to the Whitecaps from Ontario to join their academy and then turned pro, played in that first game. Ten years later, still with the club. Got a chance to chat with Russell on Thursday, just about his memories of that inaugural game against TFC, that first season, ten years at the club. Does he have another ten years in him? So first thing to to ask you, Russell, you you got the plaque from the the Southsiders and, and Rain City on Thursday, celebrating ten years of a, a pro deal, ten years as a professional at Vancouver. I know you've been there a few years before that, but when you look back to that day that you signed that contract, what kind of memories come back to you from that day? I remember the build-up for the MLS and how the city was so excited for the MLS team to come. Uh, I remember Empire Stadium, the ponchos that were thrown on the field. Uh, the first game that against Toronto FC, that's a, that's a big memory. But I think the build-up for me, um, signing the contract kind of a week before the season, uh, just being so excited to finally play uh, at home in Vancouver because I had played one USL game prior to that and that was an away game so I'd never played in front of our fans before and this was this was uh it was an exciting time for me to sign that contract because I was I couldn't wait to play in front of Vancouver at home um so it was a it was a ton of emotions but at the end of the day it all led up to that first game against Toronto FC so it was it was a special moment now, coming up to the, the 10th anniversary of, of that first game, I can still remember it as if it was yesterday, everything from before the game, the game itself, the, the post-game celebrations, everything like that. Does it still seem like a vivid memory to you? Is that like one of one of the highlights of your time as a Whitecaps, just experiencing that whole day? Yeah, it definitely is. It's, one of, it's a top 10 moment for sure, just because you felt all the emotions from the fans, from the organization, from the players, uh, from the city. It was just such a perfect day. And, and like you said, all those memories, you know, you can relive them. And it's, it's still just as special. Uh, like you said, the celebrations after the game, uh, it was it was really something. It, would, it was supposed to be raining that day. It turned out to be one of the nicest days. So everything worked out kind of perfectly. When you look back... Uh... I guess I'll ask you this in two parts. When you, when you look back at the the club 
when it first came into the league into 2011 to where the club sits now. I mean, it, it seems night and day. There's the training facility. Things seem a lot more professional. Have you noticed a, a huge difference in, in the last 10 years in the club? Look, the way I can answer that question is I remember the USL days when we were in our locker room was the SF Simon Fraser University's wrestling team's locker room and we <laughs> shared the lockers with them. Um, that was a 10 by 10 room and we had to walk uh, 10 minutes to get down to the, to the field. Um, so we've come a long way as a club. We're in a, in a facility that is is one of the best in Canada. Uh, it's, a, it's a great facility to come into work every day. Um, we've grown as an organization in so many ways. The things that we've we've done in the community over the past decade, uh, this club is growing and, and it's really exciting to be a part of. The second part of that then, for yourself as a player, now we've watched you in the USL, watched you in the academy, making a, an appearance in that very first game. When you look at yourself as a player, from when you, you took the pitch against TFC 10 years ago to the player that you are now, how have you seen your, your growth in that time? I've aged 10 years. Oh, tell me about um, it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's very special uh, for me to be putting on this jersey as, you know, and to look look over the past decades uh, to still be wearing this, this badge, to still be playing as a Vancouver Whitecap. It's, it's just as special for me as it was on the first day. Um, I'll always wear the jersey with so much pride and understand what goes with wearing the Whitecaps badge and what it means to be a Vancouver Whitecap. Um, I think that's always something I'll hold near and dear to my heart. In Scotland, when you've been with a club for, for 10 years, you, you get a testimonial match, but these have basically died out over the years because there's very few players that kind of hang around clubs for that long or are like one one club players. When you joined the academy at the, the tail end of the two thousands could you ever have imagined that you would still be at the club all these years later i remember having a conversation and one of those conversations was with uh with bob leonard and he asked me where i wanted to play um and what my my goals were um and i had said uh, i want to be a vancouver whitecap this is where i want to play uh you know i guess you can't really guess what's going to happen and you know i would probably say i never expected to be here as long as I have and to play as long as I have because there's times in your career where you second guess yourself and you, you know there were definitely times in, in my career where I, where I second guess myself um, but I've always been a person to to push myself to keep working you know to, to get over the next obstacle and I've always been able to persevere um, I love this club I love this city um, Vancouver has become a second home to me the people have been amazing since I've, since I've arrived here They've welcomed me and adopted me into their city. The fans, you know, even when I see them now, they're always so warm and welcoming on the street uh, and always, you know, wishing the Whitecaps the best and, and you know, always saying go Caps. And it's just a city that has taken me in and I owe this city so much. Um, and I think that's why over the past few years, I've tried to, to give back to this community, to this city and the people of it um, because it's given me so much. It's given me a livelihood. Uh, it's given me, you know, great pride, great happiness, great joy and then the little I can do to try and give back in the community is what I'll do and I'll, I'll try and give my best back to this community And just two things to finish off just looking at, ahead to the, the season to come, 
It looks an exciting squad uh, that Mark and the team have put together. I know it's another difficult season because you're starting off, at least starting off, d- down a- in Salt Lake. But from what you've seen at training, and I know there's a lot of guys missing, but from what you're expecting from this year, it it feels like it's going to be a good year for the team. You always you go into every year being optimistic, and you go into every year knowing it's going to take a lot of work, and you go into every year, you know, um, with championships in mind, with making playoffs in mind, with you know being better than the year before that. You you want those things in the back of your mind, and, and you push for those things. You know, you set goals as a team, you set goals as individuals, and you want to attack those goals. Um, and we have a lot of guys returning from the previous year. We've built a good core here. We're all familiar with each other, and, and we're going to add new pieces that are going to make the squad even better. So, like you mentioned, it's going to be uh, different being down in Salt Lake. But you know, I guess it kind of just depends on which way you look at it. It could be a great thing for our team to be, you know, to be uprooted, to be in a different city, and we're going to have to rely on each other even more, um, and we're going to have to become more, even more of a family. So, it could. It's all about perspective and how you look at the situation. But I know from this group of guys, we're excited to get this season going. We know that we, we, uh, we're going to be building on something. We laid a foundation last last year, uh, and we're just building on it this season, and, and playoffs is, is definitely the goal. That's fantastic. That answered both the things I was going to ask you in one. So thanks so much for your time today, Russell. been a pleasure watching you these past 10 years. Here's to a, another 10, I guess. That would take you up to 37. <laughs> you could do that. Yeah, thank you very much, man. I appreciate that. It's always good to see you and good to talk. That's great. Cheers, Russell. Take care. Okay, Bye. take care. So Russell Tiber there talking all things 2011 and 2021 and in between as well. When you look at Russell from the player he was in 2011 to the, the player that he is now, what kind of changes have you have you seen in him? Well, the biggest thing I think is he wear, doesn't wear flip-flops when he wears a bike. I think that would be the biggest change because um, that really derailed the season that year. I well, think. his hairstyles have changed, I think, every year as well. So there's that, that too. And fashion. Um, but um, I, I think it, 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 obviously at that time he was playing as a, a left winger uh, kind of attacking player. And he's he's kind of moved around. He's gone to left back. He's gone uh, into the central midfield. So he's kind of gone all over trying to find that one position. That's the problem I think that uh, came about that he wasn't able to find that one position. And so they kept trying him out and he really never had the time to develop. Uh, that one spot. So I think that was probably his biggest issue and hindrance. Yeah, he can now, as a veteran, it's really fantastic that he can play multiple positions. But if he could have found that position early on, I think it would have been uh, even a, a, yeah. a you know a better 10 years that he had right now. I mean, if you're a utility player in MLS, you've got longevity. I mean, I, I think that's shown. Like Andy Rose is a great example of that in the, the current squad as well just now. But I mean, Zach, Rusty... He's a great servant to the team. He, he's he got his detractors out there. There's guys that love him as well, but you cannot question his commitment to this club, his love of the city, his love of the club. Over in the UK, you if you're with a club for 10 years, you get a testimonial match. And there's so few players get that nowadays. I mean, I mentioned that to, to Russell in the interview. It's like hardly anyone is a one-club player. Hardly anyone spends 10 years with a one-club it's, it's a tremendous achievement. 
Yeah, I'm. Yeah, you you have to um, applaud his loyalty. Uh, I think there's been obviously people in the club who have uh, rewarded his lo- loyalty. Um, you, you you spoke to some of the reasons for that: his ability to adapt. Uh, when he was in the residency, he was an attacking midfielder playing behind usually two strikers. Uh, as he moved to the first team, yeah, he was often moved to the wing, I'd probably because of his size and uh, his, his pace when he was younger and uh, his, well, we know his stamina is great um, and uh, and his ability to to set players up. Yeah, so his versatility, is, I think, has helped him a lot. Uh, when you look back on his on his time with the club, I think, I think the thing that stands out aside from his longevity and his uh, flexibility is when you think about big moments or big seasons for him, I forget what year it was, maybe 2013. It was a Martin Rennie year. And it so it must have been 2013 oh, or 2012 yes. when he was in. It was kind of like there was a there was a a period in 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 that season where he was part of this uh, attacking triumphant this 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 three pronged attack with Camilo Kenny Miller and himself. Yeah, um, where they were just really clicking. It was amazing, uh, and they were scoring goals. So that was 2013, right? It was. I think it they was. Did, yeah, yeah, that, yes, that, that was, was when like he a... got his, his two goals against LA. Yeah, he had so many assists. Every so, game yeah. he seemed to get an assist for this like seven or eight game stretch. So 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 good. Um, I think I think when we, I think we as at AFT and we're fair. And when we talk about people, we talk about the highlights. We also talk about some of the negative things or some yeah. of the lowlights. I think one of the things, um, and maybe this is speculation. I can't remember if this is speculation or this is uh, confirmed. But I think one of the things that maybe is because we know, uh, and I think we're going to hear later in the show, like he is loved by people who he's played with and. Uh, whatever, for the most part. But I think uh, there has been some concerns maybe over, uh, like when you're at the club for a long time, you know everyone, and so you're connected. And so that that brings you into connection with the higher-up people at the club. And I think there's been some issues. Or I'm not, So I'm not saying he's necessarily done anything wrong, but I think there's been some inferences that maybe he's been a, a go-between between some of the squad and some of the hires-up, which has created some issues, I think, in particular, again, whether it was orchestrated or not, the... Well, that was the 2017 car crash, yeah. Yeah. So he has had a couple moments that have been, like, concerning, if, 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 you know, some of these reports or suggestions are to, are to be believed. But I think on the whole, I think... Actually, it was, that was 2018. Yeah, I was going to say, 2017 yeah. was too long ago. But on the whole, I think his time with the club has been, been good, and mm-hmm. he has been... A, a great ambassador for the club in in Canada within Canadian soccer and um, and in the league in MLS and and he does a lot of community stuff too. Right? He does. He, he really he, engaged he in does. the community. So and 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 on top of that, on a on a personal note, like I've just he has been very generous with his time and with um, his honesty. Right, like uh, Michael, you've uh, asked me to connect with him on different mm-hmm. things over the years for the for the for a, for AFTN and. Um, I think in particular, I mean, there's been a few things, but uh, in particular, like um, uh, the uh, what was it, young players game, the prospects game, and yes, the All-Star game in yeah. Portland. Very, very the homegrown generous. thing, yeah, yeah, very homegrown game. He, very, very generous, very, very helpful. Um, other times where you've had me go do stuff on on the road in Portland preseason stuff. Very, very open and giving of his time and uh, willing to connect, and even even here in Vancouver as well. So, like, I as a as a person, like I really appreciate him and he's been really, really great, really great for with, with me. Um, and he's been great with me as well. It's like, I think I, as media, if you treat him properly and respectfully, yes. 
he he's a good interview. And I, I joked at the end there, here's another 10 years. He's only 27. 10 years would take him up to 37. It's like, never, mm-hmm. never say never. And the one thing about the, uh, I think that, um, you know, like whatever you want to call it about, like the way he like uh, presents himself to them in the media, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he probably hears the stuff that the fans are saying about him. And so, every, as everybody knows, the media is kind of like a link to the fans, like kind of asking the questions. So, I think that he pro- might perceive that in there. Come on, kind of make a connection there. So, I don't know. That, that might have something to do with that, too, because uh, there have been a lot of people out there uh, in the supporters groups and regular fans that have not been big fans of. Tyler. Oh, yeah. He, he's been much maligned by a certain section, a noisy section of the online fan base, which yeah. sometimes White Caps online fans can it's it's brutal environment sometimes when you're reading comments after a game but he's a he's a reliable guy Mm -hmm. if you need to to bring in a a guy off the bench or into the squad because of injuries to start a game you can rely on russell you know what you're going to get from him and yeah maybe it's not the sexiest midfield player out there but I'd rather have a play like that on the team and a player like Andy Rose that you know what you're getting, can play in a multitude of positions and you can depend on him, reliable, everything like that. And that's what Rusty does. And, and with the knowing what he's going to do too, he does, he 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 is does have the ability to, to create. He hasn't always been put in a position to create. Yeah, I thought he was but... better last year with regards to that. I've got yeah. to say, I thought he, yeah. he had a better season. I haven't delved into stats, but the eye test for me yeah. was... He, he was being a bit more forward thinking. But we, we know where Russell is. We've just heard from him there. He's still with the Whitecaps. Michael Boxall is still in MLS with Minnesota. They're the only two players from that inaugural team against TFC that are still in MLS. But there is a third player from that starting eleven that is still playing his trade in North American football. That is Gershon Kofi. And we're going to hear from him in part three. But coming up after the break... We're going to hear from a man that was very heavily involved with the supporter side of things for that 2011 game, former president of the Southsiders, John Knox, Johnny Monster himself. We'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And we've kicked off this part with something a little bit different in a couple of ways. 
If you cast your minds back to 2019, seems so long ago now, when we were doing all our kind of soccer ball celebrations for the 40th anniversary of Vancouver winning the soccer ball in 1979, one of the fun things that I like to do was to find out the number one singles and albums and, and stuff like that in the, the week that we were doing it, 40 years ago, and then playing a song or two that was number one or in the charts or, or something from that period. So that got me thinking, since this episode is primarily about the 10th anniversary of that 2011 game against TFC, just what song was number one when the Whitecaps played their inaugural MLS match? Well, it turned out to be Lady Gaga and her song Born This Way. Now, regular listeners of the show know that we're probably not what you would class as a Lady Gaga kind of style music playing show. I like my my thrash, my punk, my metal, my hip-hop, rap, stuff like that. Not so much Lady Gaga. Not knocking her too much. She's got some good songs out there. But I thought, I'm going to play a version of Born This Way that kind of fits into the kind of songs we play. So that's what you heard there. From 2018, as far as I can gather, from Norwegian singer-songwriter and recording artist... Leo Moraccioli. He does a number of covers on YouTube, so you check that out. I thought that was a, a fantastic version of the song. It was either going to be him or Alice Cooper doing a, a live version as well, but we went with Leo, and I think that was a good choice. But anyway, we are going to be continuing our look now at the Whitecaps' inaugural match against TFC, that inaugural season in 2011. You heard our thoughts uh, about it in the, the first part of the show. You heard some thoughts from Whitecaps player Russell Tiber as well. So we thought in this part, we would bring you a chat with a, a man that was very heavily involved with the supporter culture in the city the day that the Whitecaps went into MLS. Long-time Southsider, founding member of the Southsider and president of the Southsiders in 2011. He's been on the show a number of times before. Haven't had him on for a few years, so it's great to catch up with him again. Welcome back to the show, Johnny Monster himself, John Knox. How are you doing today, John? Hello, thank you for having me back. It's been a while. It's been a long, long time since, since you've been on the show. So we were sharing our memories of that day there. So let's just get straight to that. When you look back at March 19th, 2011, what immediately comes to mind for you? Pressure. Uh, I know that in the weeks and months leading up to that first kick, um, the Southsiders board had been working around the clock to take care of a million things to make sure that this was the perfect day for Vancouver supporters. Uh, We had to get a pub lined up. We had to make sure people knew who we were and how to get in touch with us. We had a membership recruitment drive. We had rallies to get people out. Um, there was a lot, a lot of work to try to get the word out that this was going to be something different for the city and we really wanted people to get on board with it. So first kit comes along and the morning of, you know, of course there's buzz around town, you know, the Whitecaps are going to be at Empire. It's going to be this great thing for uh, the city and for soccer fans all around the province. But from my point of view, I'm hoping against all odds that this actually 
turns into the vision that we've hoped would pan out. And uh, I can tell you that uh, I showed up at Oscar's pub, which was our, our, our designated supporters pub for the first part of that first season. And uh, I got there hours early, you know, with the expectation of setting up a, a recruitment table and, you know, trying to get people interested in what we were doing. And I get in the door and the place is already packed to the rafters. And there's this buzz, there's this energy in that room. And it just, it just clicked for me. It's, it just, it felt like everything is going to be the way it's supposed to be. And sure enough, we had a wonderful pregame. Uh, we were very fortunate to have the likes of Buzz Parsons in attendance who made a point of approaching me and saying, you know, I was around for the, the soccer bowl and I've seen nothing like this in the city. So, you know, kudos to you guys. And that meant a lot because, you know, here's like a Canadian soccer legend saying like, wow, like you guys are doing it right. And this is going to be a great thing for the city. And sure enough, you know, we, you know, people are having their pints. We're singing some songs you know, a lot of the, the carryover supporters that had been there for the Swan Guard days and had been there with the Southsiders that knew some of the songs, we began singing them in the pub and teaching them to people that maybe weren't all that familiar with them because they're new. And uh, sure enough, we've soon got the pub in full voice and then we're out in the street with this massive march down Hastings Street down to Empire um, Stadium. And uh, cars are honking for us and transit buses are going by and the drivers are giving us the wave and you know, it, it was just an absolutely amazing feeling. And when we get into that stadium, we get our first look at it with our actual eyes. Um, it just took your breath away because you just realize like what a special place that was, even though it was a temporary stadium. Yeah. It just had this vibe to it. And we had the right people to fill it at that time. And it was just an absolutely incredible day. It, it was one of those days that, like you, I, I was involved with the board at that time, but it wasn't really, I didn't have that much to do. It was like guys like your, yourself and Brett and Shane did most of the heavy lifting that day. Could you actually enjoy that day pregame? Like, because when I arrived at the pub, it was maybe, I think I got there about 12.30 and it was like packed out the door and I was like, holy shit. Um, and it's like, it was easy for what I was doing as, as kind of the communications person to, I didn't have loads to do. It was already done. Could you enjoy that, that day? I did because when I saw that the people had turned out, like I had hoped they would, um, that put me at ease right away. I mean, yes, I was still going about and introducing myself and, uh, you know, trying to get people riled up and excited and get some chance going. Um, so there was some, there's definitely a work aspect to that day, but it's, as much fun as work can possibly be given the situation. You know, it's, I'm doing something that I've worked hard on with several other people who have committed hours and hours to getting this off the ground. And it's working out. People are getting into this. And it was just so satisfying, you know? The only thing I can really describe it to, it's like, you know, if you take someone to Disneyland for the first time, and maybe you've been there three, four or five times, you've, you've been there, done that, you know what all the, the little, uh, you know, secrets and surprises are around the park. But now you're showing this to somebody else for the first time and their eyes are wide open and they're realizing the potential that's in front of them. And you get them on that march and people are just giving it. Um, that was just all payoff, you know, from where I, I sat. And uh, 
I, I just, I couldn't have asked for a better day. And the way the results played out too, it just was the icing on the cake. We could have tanked that day 5-0, you know, <laughs> and I would have still been thrilled that it went off the way that it did. Um, when you look at the uh, either the build-up or the day of, what was the biggest difference from the MLS, uh, that first kickoff, to previous years when you would just go to Swan Guard or something like that? What was the biggest difference or what was the biggest challenge? The biggest challenge had always been bringing people together because there was just no real way to congregate in substantial numbers at Swan Guard outside of the tailgate parties used to throw in the, in the parking lots. Um, yeah, you'd get a dozen people out, maybe two dozen if you're lucky. Um, but what was different about MLS is we had a pub and we had a march and people knew this is where I need to go to enjoy this day to the best that I possibly can. And they came in numbers, they put their hearts into it put their pints into it, certainly. Um, and, uh, you know, they took full advantage of this amazing opportunity for supporters to enjoy football in the way it's really meant to be enjoyed. You know, um, people have different views on, on how to enjoy football, but what happened on that day is what I like and what I know a lot of other people like. And what I also knew that day was that people who hadn't been exposed to that before took a look at that and said, I want to be part of this. This is something I want to do because this is awesome. And uh, that was just, just absolutely a, a wonderful day. And it was very, very meaningful for me personally. Can you believe it was 10 years ago? Because I can still remember it like it was yesterday. Now, it helps that I've got the videos up on our channel and I've tweeted some of those out uh, in the last couple of days and stuff as well. But I can still remember pretty much every aspect of it the ponchos coming flying over the post game and all the players came up to the south side arms and arm and just like celebrating with everyone it doesn't feel like like 10 years ago no it doesn't and uh you know i i i i can put things in like the context of like where i was in my life at that point in time you know around then i i just started a new job um, you know, uh, I hadn't had my son at that point in time. Like, I'm a totally different person then uh, as I am now. Mm. Um, you know, um, so it's it's really interesting to that it, it's ten years. That's a decade. That is not an insignificant amount of time. Yeah. But still, it, the memories of that day are, are really cemented in my mind. Absolutely, there's just so much going on there that we had hoped for um, that came true, came to be. And, uh, you know, the, the results and, you know, the play on the pitch was great. The atmosphere in the stadium was great. The views around the stadium were lovely as well. I wasn't oh, expecting so it to look as... Oh, it was beautiful from the south side out to the mountains. I know. And you know what? Uh, I, I have to give uh, the club full credit for making the best use of that site, the temporary location that it was. I mean, it didn't have all the amenities that you'll, you'll find at BC Place, but they made it work. And, you know, honestly, I location aside, I would still take Empire over BC Place in a heartbeat any any day of the week. Yeah, getting in and out of your seat wasn't the, the easiest thing, especially in the south side. But, yeah. I mean, if we... That, that, that day was great. The win was great. The season, obviously, was not so great. If we fast forward 10 years now and you look at where the club is now, to where it was 10 years ago and you started watching the the team 
I don't know when you started watching it, but I know the South Series were formed in 99, mm-hmm. so I don't know if that was your first season watching it or not, but there's, there was like big growth from then to joining MLS. Do you feel there's been that continued growth, or have we maybe not accelerated, and obviously success-wise we haven't, but just as a growth of as a club, do you feel we should be where we are 10 years down the line, or are we way off the pace? We're way off the pace. I started following this club when they were the 86ers, when the club first formed. I was eight years old. My parents took me to games at Swan Guard. You know, I watched Carl Valentine and Bobby and, you know, later, uh, you know, Dominic Mobilio and uh, John Catliff, all these like amazing Canadian players. Um, and the pride that came from that club, their accomplishments, they, they were just unstoppable and they were a joy to watch. And it didn't matter that it was, you know, Swan Guard. Right. It didn't matter that this was, um, you know, a, a suburban soccer pitch, you know, off the beaten path from, um, you know, upper echelons of what you might find in other countries or even the United States for that matter. I mean, what we had there was really special and a competitive team that wanted to win and got it done. And, uh, you know, certainly uh, there was further a league before that, um, but we had a, a real contender team built mostly from local players. Um, and, and you had some real pride behind that. You know, these were, these were guys that lived down the block. And in a lot of cases in those early years, I mean, some of these guys were working second jobs just to, you know, like pay the bills because they weren't getting paid well playing soccer in Canada. Um, moving into MLS was definitely a progression to sort of pursuing excellence, but I don't think that we have come anywhere near where we need to be. Uh, we have not been consistently competitive. Um, we've, it just seems like we're right now we're on year 10 of a 10 year rebuild. Right. And um, that's tough. That's tough for supporters that want to, you know, put their hearts and souls behind this team. Um, but if the club isn't able to get the right people, right coaching personnel, right executives in place, this club is going to continue spinning its wheels and it's going to be losing supporters as they go because they're not delivering. They're not delivering on the dream, which is a championship or at very least, you know, a, a consistent contender that's going to make the playoffs every year. That's going to give them a real run for their money and give the people in the city and, and, you know, more broadly throughout the province, a team that they can rally behind with hope. Because if you're constantly rebuilding and starting things over and trying to plug holes in your roster and trying to find that number 10 that we just can't ever seem to sign, um, it's exhausting for supporters and you're going to lose people. And certainly um, that's probably one of many reasons why Whitecaps attendance has been on a downward trend in recent years. You know, there's, there's other reasons, of course, but certainly the lack of success on the field has been, I'm, I'm certain it has been a real factor for them. For, uh, the, you know, the connection between the supporters groups and the, and the club itself, have you noticed anything? Like, was there one moment in time over these 10 years while you were involved that you saw something change in them compared to what they were at Swan Guard to MLS? You don't, you don't have to go into specifics if you do want to. No, but... no, I, uh, no I'll, I'll, I'm an open book on this. If yeah. you have any questions, I'm, I'm more than happy to answer. What I can say is that there's always been obstacles. Um, we have, you know, when I say we, I mean, people who are in leadership positions within the supporters groups have over the years 
tried to work with the Whitecaps on, on many different issues, some small, some large, um, you know, to try to get them to resolved. And the pattern that I have seen over my time when, when I have been involved in, in that kind of a role has always been, uh, you know, they want to hear it from us. They'll talk about it. They'll think about it. Um, right now, the answer is no, maybe sometime later. And then a few years down the road, there's a complete reversal and, and the supporters end up getting what they asked for years before. And that's happened over and over and over again, whether it's been things like ticket pricing, like the, the pricing structure around the pitch, um, you know, the away support tickets, um, you know, uh, signage in the stadium. Um, you know, what does that mean? What's political? What's not political? Um, you know, standing up for, you know, uh, rights for, for uh, individuals who are marginalized or, or, you know, maybe subject to abuse or harassment in the stadium setting. Um, you know, supporters in Vancouver have been very good at bringing these things to the front office. I think we've been heard, but it's the lack of action that has been frustrating. Um, and while I'm grateful to have seen, you know, an almost perfect track record of supporters eventually getting everything that we've wanted, it's just the timing, right? Um, you know, we, you know, the supporters pushed for GA, they finally got it after years and years and years of hemming and hawing at the front office, like, oh, I don't know if we can do this, it's going to inconvenience people, and then suddenly it's like, yeah, this is great, let's do it. I do want to give the Whitecaps credit. They have put people uh, in positions to liaise with supporters groups and those people are, are great. They've got the best of intentions. Um, that's certainly been my experience. Um, you know, uh, I think that um, all supporters groups recognize that usually the people that we're dealing with aren't the decision makers. They're not the ones that can put the rubber stamp on the action that needs to happen. That's another internal process that needs to happen within the club. All we can do is make our case explain why it makes sense. And, uh, you know, so to sort of wrap up your, your, your question, I apologize for rambling a little bit here, but um, have I seen a change um, in relationship? I think I've seen more of a willingness for the, the club to, to hear us out. Um, I've not seen uh, swift movement to action. And maybe that's just the reality of, of, modern soccer. I, I, I really don't have any context outside of dealing with the Whitecaps, um, but progress is slow. It's great when you make that progress. And I'm, I'm very pleased uh, uh, both for, you know, my time, you know, with the Southsiders and those who have, you know, served in leadership roles after me, um, they've had a lot on their plate. They've had to get over some really difficult and challenging situations. And um, it has been an uphill battle most of the time, but I think, it, I, I like to say that the supporters of Vancouver can be the conscience of the club at times, and we're rarely wrong. And I don't mean to sound, uh, I don't mean to say that in a snide kind of way. I mean that to say that we want what's best for the club and for the people that support this club. And um, it's frustrating sometimes when we don't feel like we're being heard or the concerns aren't being taken seriously. But it's been my experience that things eventually work out in, in you know, in, in the direction we want them to go. And I, I would just hope that uh, for those who are dealing with future situations, you know, don't give up. <laughs> Stick with it. Because it, I, I can't think of any particular issue um, in, in my many years of involvement in various levels with Southsiders leadership where 
things that we have pursued never happened because they've always happened because we've continued to push for them. And I think that all supporters in Vancouver benefit from that, whether they're wearing a Southsider scarf or they're sitting in a different part of the stadium. Um, you know, there's a lot of good people putting in a lot of volunteer hours to make that experience better for all of us. And if they continue to be persistent, eventually the club comes around. And, and that, that's a positive thing that I can say that has come out of working with the White Caps over the years is that they do eventually come around. That's, that's been my experience. And I know that's been the experience of others who have been in the president's role or other Southsiders executive positions. Now, uh, uh, Michael's not a big fan of uh, PC culture. And um, so I just want to ask, like, like it, it basically shifted quite a bit really quickly when we got into MLS, uh, where some of the chants were taken out because uh, a family-friendly environment wanted to be had. How did that affect the Southsiders as the years went on while you were there? Uh, you know, I think that one of the things that, that comes to my mind was... Uh, not so much the uh, family uh, aspect of, of the crowds that we're now turning out to the soccer games, but it was the fact that some of our most ardent and vocal supporters were women. And prior to MLS, the Southsiders were almost exclusively male. Um, I think we recognized as our membership exploded um, into uh, you know numbers that we had not dreamed of ever happening. Um, you know, now we have, uh, you know, uh, we're getting a lot of good advice from um, female supporters and LGBTQ supporters and people who had not previously been uh, involved with Southsiders or at least not in a uh, visible and vocal way. And in listening to those people, I think that uh, Southsiders um, leadership kind of recognized that you know, maybe some of these chants are a bit outdated. Maybe they're not suited for the times anymore. Like I, like one example is the old, you know, she fell over, she fell over. Um, you know, that's just not the sort of thing that, that a lot of us felt comfortable doing now because, uh, you know, there, there had to be some accountability to the membership. And a lot of that membership was women. And, and quite uh, rightly so, they'd be given a shit for not dealing with that and putting a stop to it. So I think that uh, certainly one of the, the positive things to come out of the membership growth was definitely uh, that the Southsiders moved out of our, you know, uh, our old perhaps uh, male oriented chauvinistic ways uh, in terms of the chants that were being sung and, and were a little more mindful of the effect that that can have on some people. And, you know, some people might say it's, it's, it's a little too PC, it's, it's playing it safe. But at the same time, why would you want to piss off people that are willing to put down their hard-earned money, put on your scarf, and they just want to go out and cheer with you, right? So I think we grew, um, you know, uh, in terms of uh, our uh, ways of, of demonstrating our support, um, because we had to be mindful of who we were with and, and what we represented then, not, repre not what we represented at Swanguard, what we represented when we showed up at Empire or at BC Place. We're not the same Southsiders anymore. And I think that one ideal within the Southsiders, which, which honestly uh, carried over from the Swanguard's days, it was always there, 
But it was always that every person has a right to be there. Every person has a right to cheer and join in and support with us. And we should not turn that away. So as the membership grew and the demographics within the membership um, were more diverse, um, I think we had to change. And it was a good change and it was the right thing to do. So you, you saw a lot of changes we talked about from 99 when the Southsiders were formed to 2011. In terms of the club, where it is now from where it was 10 years ago, there, there are improvements. There's a new training ground. It's a lot more professional. I know you're no longer a, a season ticket holder. What do you feel needs to happen with this club in the next 10 years? And what would it be specifically that would bring you back to the fold? It's a tough question. Um, my issue with the Whitecaps right now is that I have been so disappointed in their handling of some of the very serious issues that have come up in recent years. Specifically, there's a sexual assault allegation uh, involving um, some of our youth players. And there were also the many concerns that were brought forward by our women's Whitecaps players um, and also the Canadian national players um, who had brought concerns forward 10 years ago. And those concerns were not handled appropriately in my view. And, you know, uh, I think most of us who follow the local soccer community are, are aware of uh, Kira McCormack's blog and, and that, that came out, you know, just over a year ago, I think now, uh, where she revealed some of uh, the difficulties that were going on with the Whitecaps and with the Canadian national program when she was involved there. And it's just gut-wrenching when you're reading these horrible experiences that people have had um, within the organization that I, as a supporter, I'm supposed to love. And, you know, when the blog uh, became such a, a powder keg uh, of attention, uh, and, and quite rightly so, um, I was even more disappointed in the fact that, you know, the women who had been so deeply affected by this were still having such a difficult time connecting with Whitecaps senior leadership to try to bring some kind of resolution to some very real and painful trauma that had been unresolved for so long. And, you know, it shouldn't take Southsiders walking out of matches to prompt ownership to have a meeting with these people. It shouldn't take us, you know, supporters doing news hits with the media, talking about why we're walking out, uh, you know, for the women to get meetings with owners without uh, the attendance of people who they have specifically named as, as being a source of their trauma, right? Um, this is something which, which I understand that the Whitecaps ownership were initially not willing to do. And that just baffles me because what I'm seeing is a complete lack of human decency when that the situations are being handled like that. And so I really, really struggled to justify to myself, like, why am I giving my money to this organization? Because they treat people terribly. You know, it, you can't say it was in the past and it's not the same people because the same people are still involved, right? We have some of the same people that were present at the time that mishandled uh, the allegations uh, that were brought forward at the time. They're still involved now. 
And the current owners, while they were not directly involved at the time uh, necessarily, you know, they're just following suit by allowing the situation to fester, worsen. You know, I, I could go on for days about this, and I, I appreciate that you've not got time for that. But what I can say is that, I mean, that was the last straw for me. And after I came to the conclusion that it was not right for me to give my financial backing to people that do that to other people, people that uh, make attempts to handle allegations uh, rather than resolve allegations. It was, an, it, it, it was the easiest and hardest decision of my life because, uh, you know, I've supported this team for 30 years, right? I've been following them since I was a little kid. And, uh, you know, I've been involved in getting the supporters movement off the ground. I've served as president on two occasions. I've served as vice president of the Southsiders as well. Um, I've, I've helped out in many roles. I've volunteered countless hours to try to get people to those games. And yet I'm really, in a way, advertising for an organization that has not shown basic human decency. And so that just did not sit well with me. Um, and so I, I discontinued my tickets. I'm, I'm not going back until, until I think really new owners step in or at the bare minimum that some of those executives that were, were involved at the time of the women's players uh, scandal and the sexual assault allegations out of the youth program, they have to be gone because they are part of what's holding us back. If these are the people that are giving guidance and advice to ownership, where is this club going to go anywhere but a continued downward trajectory as far as dealing with people in the right way because they've not demonstrated that they can get it right. They've had over a decade to get it right and they're still getting it wrong. So do, do you, are you confident for the next 10 years? Do, do you think if we're sitting down chatting in 10 years time, we'll be talking about a, a successful Whitecaps as a club on the pitch and as an organization off it? You know, I think the one thing that, that, that we've all seen is that things come and go in cycles there's, there's good days and there's bad days. And people in leadership positions don't stay there forever. They can stay a hell of a long time, but eventually they move on. And so it's almost like, I think that it, for those of you who, who maybe listen to this podcast and maybe feeling some of the same feelings that I do about this, wait them out. You know, you know, you, you can support the club without your wallet, right? And and I would rather watch a match on TV. You know, I mean, Shaw Cable is going to get my money there. But, uh, you know, I, I need not put it into the MLS coffers, uh, which uh, is an organization which has certain members within its organization that treat people poorly. And I'm just not good with that. So I'll wait till they're gone. And when they're gone, I'll come back. What I do hope, though, is that I, I, I do hope that uh, for the uh, women players who came forward with their stories, um, horrific stories, uh, I hope that they find some healing in this, you know, and whatever that journey needs to be for them, only they can say. But 
I, I do wish them well because I, I think they they have been um, they have suffered uh, more wrongs than necessary than than what initially happened, and that's that's largely on ownership and the executive leadership team. Well, I think that's a, a good place to end that, John. Thank you for joining us. It's been a long time since we had you on the show. I've missed having you on the show. We'll get you on again hopefully soon to talk more positive stuff and hopefully some changes and success on the pitch. But happy days 10 years ago. Enjoyed spending that day with you and the time with the Southsiders at Swan Guard before that. Thanks for being on and we'll talk again soon. You bet. Thank you. So some great stuff from Johnny there, just reliving the days back in 2011. That's what this episode is all about primarily. And we're going to be continuing it by talking to another player that was part of that starting 11 in the game against TFC on March 19th, 2011. A player that was with the Whitecaps before they went to MLS, spent five seasons in Major League Soccer with the Caps, got his Canadian permanent residency and these days calls Montreal his home. Well, maybe his temporary home because he has a new club down in the States after joining India Living this off-season. So we're going to be back chatting to former Whitecaps midfielder Gershon Kofi after this. Hey, I am Axel Schuster and I'm listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, I went for a, another cover version of another song that was number one the day that the Whitecaps played their inaugural MLS match. This time, I went back to my home country to see what was number one in Scotland, what was number one in the UK on that day, and it turned out to be Adele with her famous song, Someone Like You. That's a great song. I I love it. But again, wanted to kind of get a version that maybe kind of fit in with the vibe that we have here at the AFTN Soccer Show. So I listened to a few online, and I settled for the one you've heard just now. It's from 2012. It's from a Hungarian band, keeping our European-themed music for the month. They're called Till We Drop. 
And that was their version of Someone Like You. And a very good version, I think you'll agree. But we're going to get back to the football chat now. And we're, we're going to bring you a chat with a former Whitecap, another player that played in that inaugural game against TFC back in 2011. Was with the clubs before they, they joined MLS, one season in the USL, then spent five seasons in Major League Soccer with Vancouver, a couple of seasons then with New England before going on to play in Norway, Kuwait, and then Israel. Has come back to North America, reunited with his former Whitecaps coach Martin Rennie, and will be playing the 2021 season for USL Championship side India 11. So we got a chance to chat with Gersh on our live YouTube stream on Friday. If you haven't checked that out yet, you can either listen to the, the interview with Gersh just now or watch the video. I recommend doing both because apart from chatting to Gersh on the show, there's about another 50 minutes of content that is just for the YouTube channel. But we want to bring you the interview in the podcast as well. So it's a pretty in-depth one. We highly recommend you making your favourite hot beverage, grabbing your biscuit of choice, preferably a chocolate digestive, but any biscuit is fine. Sit back, put your feet up, and listen to us chat with an MLS original white cap. Welcome, Gersh. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, if people don't know, Gersh is back in North America. He has signed for USL Club Indy 11, playing under his old boss, Martin Rennie. So we'll talk to Gersh a little bit about that. We will chat about his time elsewhere in MLS, his time playing over in Europe. But most of all, we're going to chat to him about the Whitecaps. And, I mean, so many things to, to to chat to you about, Gersh. But first thing I want to start with is just asking you, when you look back at your time in Vancouver, there was five years in MLS, there was before that in the USL days. How do you look back at, at your time in Vancouver? How much did you enjoy your time here? Good question. <clears throat> well, as you know, I came arriving uh, in Vancouver in 2010. And I uh, played a couple of games in the, uh, uh, is it the NASL? So from then, the team, I went back to Ghana, spent time with the family. I came back for the MLS preseason and stuff around January 2011. So I know nothing about Vancouver in the first place, but the first six months, 2010, that I stayed in Vancouver, I got to meet a couple of people. And uh, Zach is one of those people. And then uh, also, um, Daniel is the Baba guy, Enim is uh, another guy that I met. So they started to make me feel at home before I went to Ghana in the, uh, the end of the season. So coming back 2011 for the MLS, I already know some part of Vancouver. I already know a couple of people from Vancouver uh, as a family. So 2011 was, uh, was uh, very good for me because I feel home already uh, before I, I came back. I mean, that... That first season in MLS, obviously there was a lot of ups and downs. There was highs, there was lows. But we'll talk about the highs because we're we're recording this ten years ago. It was the very first game that four two win over TFC at Empire Field. 
what what's your memories of like the build up to that game in the city and like the day it, itself? Did, did it just kind of go back by in a flash for you, or is is it a day that you really got to to have a chance to soak in the atmosphere and the occasion? Well, that was a uh, it was really really an electrified uh, atmosphere, and uh, first thing I remember was the fans after the first goal from Eric Ashley. Because that was my first time seeing something like that. Like, uh, first goal, and then the, the fans, I don't know what exactly they were throwing on the field, you know, but they threw a lot of stuff on the field. And uh, I heard it was like a tradition, like in Canada, like because I saw TFC did the same thing, you know, when they scored their first goal. Not with us, though, but in, with the same goal. So, first goal, after the first goal, Eric Ashley scored, it was, it was, I couldn't hold my joy. But I tried to be in the game because uh, it's a 90 minutes game and we, we need to win, which we did. And that was uh, that was a time that I cannot forget. Well, what they threw on the pitch that day was rain ponchos, <laughs> which I still have mine. Or I think that's the one I've got, but I've got a rain poncho anyway. The one you have, is it from 2010, uh, 2011? It, it might be. I, I don't know, but... Probably because it was in with all my other stuff that I've got, so it, it might be. But <laughs> what, it was meant to rain that day, so yeah. because it was an open air stadium, the club thought we want the fans to have ponchos to stay dry. But then mm-hmm. it didn't rain, so then everyone just kept throwing it on the pitch. So <laughs> it was a it was a weird thing. I don't know if it's a tradition in Canada I, to do that. I mean, the yeah, other two guys was, might say yeah, that, but I thought, I thought TFC do the same, did the same thing. But on our game, uh, with our game, it took like it took us like what three five minutes to get it clear before the game continued. TFC, uh, <laughs> I think I think it was the uh, what's his name, Danny, uh, Danny Dicchio goal, and they mm-hmm. that was their, their opening day, uh, first home game in uh, mm-hmm. 2007, and it was seat covers. They had seat covers. Seat oh, covers. Okay. that's what yeah. they threw on the field for that. Okay. All, right. All right, so so it's not a tradition. No, we can start it. We can make it a tradition. We can just keep throwing things on the pitch. I'm all for that. Oh, you play the first game already, you know. I think it's for the first game of every like team coming to the league. So, but Vancouver has been in the league for for ten, ten years. Ten years. And, uh, MLS doesn't like when you throw things on the pitch. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> but I, I just want to to go back to that very first season. Now, mm-hmm. it it was a tough season. Uh, yeah. Replaced the manager after 12 games. Tater is the guy that brought you to Vancouver. It was there was there wasn't a lot of highs after that first game. There was the TFC game. There was the great comeback game against Sporting Kansas City. After that, there wasn't a lot to kind of celebrate and enjoy from from the season. As a fan, now as a player. How tough was that first year, just keeping motivated, knowing that there was going to be a new manager coming in at the end, end of the season? Was it was it hard to focus? Was it hard to get through that first year? Yeah, it was it was really tough year. And uh, as you know, as you, you were there, so you saw everything that went went down. And uh, in the locker room, we tried to keep each other going, you know, because um, regardless, we have to finish the league and we have to finish on a good note. So we cannot say to the league that because we lost a couple of games, a lot of downs, so we have to quit the game. No. So in the locker room was the, I would say, I would say the energy wasn't down, 
you know, although we're not getting the results that we need, the energy was not down. We still keep each other going and um, until the season, but it wasn't it wasn't the great season that we had. Uh, must be honest. So it was quite it was quite uh, tough for me personally. Uh, no, but also also we have one like you said the comeback against the Sporting Kansas City and the first game against Toronto. These things keep us going because when we look at that, we feel like okay we can get better results and we lost and we go to the next game hoping that we can get another good results. So we keep going game after game, game after game until we get a new manager. During those tough times of that season, who were who some of the players that everybody leaned on, like some of the veteran players, you being a young player yourself, who were some of the guys that you leaned on during that year? Uh, Alan, Alan Richard, David Kiminto, uh Eric Asley, Jade Merritt. Um, and I think the same year they brought Pete Vines. Yeah. So, and Chase Salinas was there as well. So we have a couple of uh, older guys that we lean on and they talk to us as the young guys to keep us going. But uh, this is the, this, this, the name I mentioned was the pillar, was the stronghold at Terry Dunfield. Yeah, so we have good guys that we can lean on and learn from that keep us going that year. I, I might have a question to ask you about Terry Dunfield later in the show, but we'll see if we've got time for that one. <laughs> Um, the, uh, you, you spent five seasons with the Caps. Um, uh, uh, how did you see the team grow at, from that first year going forward? With, with uh, the team, the team get better, like compared to the first year. The second year, we won more than one game. And um, uh, I, don't, I don't remember if we win any away game, but I think we did. J.D. Mary, we won in Chivas. Yeah, that was the yeah. first away one. Yeah, so you know things change, uh, big uh, lines. So we started to play good football. We started to get some results, you know, because we get to know each other more. We get to lean on each other more and help each other to grow. So it was big difference from that year to my time that I left Vancouver. It was big difference. And what are what are some of your other favorite memories? Maybe off the pitch or on the pitch that you enjoyed. Anything you can share with us there? Uh, yeah, the fans, the fans. From uh, I think the fans keep getting better every every year. And then for me personal, like I'm a fan favorite. I will say because I love the fans and they love me back. So I would. And um, the fan base is really really strong in Vancouver, and I can see that it, it keeps growing stronger. So uh, the team get better uh, to the fans because I cannot I cannot say that a better team can get so, so, so much good without the fans. So uh, kudos to the fans and they should, they should keep what they're doing. Gersh, um, it's so good to see your face. Uh, I know it's <laughs> not, not in person, but it's, uh, yeah. So, it's, so, so nice yeah, to see you. It's been, um, yes. <laughs> um, I, I hope uh, everyone in your families, uh, both in North America and in, in Africa are doing well and are safe. Um, I lost, I, want... I lost mom. I lost my dad. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, we yeah. still, yeah. Well, that was, how long ago was that now? I lost my mom two years ago. My dad yeah. just last month. Well, last month, yes. Yeah. yeah. But the good, good things also came in. You know, I got married. I have a baby. So, you know, we cannot talk about uh, the loss too much. We have to focus on the good side yeah. too. 
Yeah. yeah. Like, sorry sorry still, to hear that though. Yeah. yeah you. you still have your siblings, some siblings and, and other relatives at home in, in Accra and Ghana, right? In Ghana, yeah. Four sisters. I'm yeah. the only boy. <laughs> yeah. Zach, I miss you. I, I miss you. I miss you forever. Um, for real, man. I can't wait to see you in person again. I don't know when yeah. it's going to be, but I look forward to it. And I'll come with your granddaughter. For real. Uh, my my uh, the first question I have for you is is kind of actually a li- even a little bit before I know Michael touched on a little bit, but a little bit before MLS, and I'm wondering uh, as much as you're willing, if you could share on the process that brought you to Vancouver. And the reason I ask that is because <laughs> one of the big topics in Vancouver over the last year or two in the in the in the Mark DeSantis era has been uh, recruitment and how Vancouver brings in players and and who's involved and what that looks like. So I'm wondering again, as much as you're willing. Uh, if you could share the process that brought you to Vancouver. Now, I know this was 10 years ago or more than 10 years ago, so it's a little, it was a little bit different. But I think you could probably, from the stories I've heard you share in the past, I think you could paint a picture for people of what it looked like for the Whitecaps to get you from where you were into yeah. their squad and into MLS. Yeah, it was quite a journey, though. Uh, thanks to God. But uh, uh, I was in, uh, it was 20, 2010 when... Uh, I played the uh, international allies, allies in Ghana, and then every year they do have uh, Ghana as talent, you know. But uh, I got injured around 2018, 2019, so I traveled to Sweden to get my ankle fixed. I came back to Ghana, I tried to keep it going. I started playing, and then around July, uh, we had that tournament again. So every year, each, uh, scouts from teams around the world comes through to get players. So we actually, I played like three games the same day, <laughs> three 90 minutes the same day. And uh, the next day was Sunday. So I wasn't feeling well because it's not normal to play three games in a day, you know, but I loved the game so much. I wasn't thinking about my health or how tired I'll be. But uh, God being so good, uh, teams were watching me. So the next day I came to the, the tournament, I wasn't feeling well. So I told the, the host that I couldn't play. And he told me that, no, you don't have to play because we have few teams that want you. So you have to make a decision. And I said, okay. So Monday I met with, uh, uh, I think, not Tom first, I met with New York. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Red Bulls. Yeah. Yeah. I met with New York. I met with Kansas City. You know, because their scouts were there, you know, and some scouts from, from Sweden, from Norway, yeah, were there as well. So I met with these people, but, uh, you know, they speak good uh, about MLS. I know nothing about MLS. And uh, the next day I met with Tom. So when right away when I'm, I, I met with Tom, I, he mentioned Vancouver. I have no idea about Vancouver. I know about Canada. But when you say about Canada, I know more about Toronto because most people from Ghana, when they travel, they don't come all the way to the West Coast. They stay in the East Coast, you know, so we know about uh, Toronto and stuff. He spoke to me about Vancouver. It sounds good about the city and stuff and how the team wanted to build up for the next year. And I said, yeah, why not? So he gave me a video to watch and I saw the Capilano Bridge. And this is what triggered me (laughs) because I love the bridges. So he showed me that and I was like, no, I, I would like to see. I would like to come and uh, see for myself. So that was the journey. The journey started. 
did was okay so first off great decision on not going to dead bull awesome i really love that but uh, was there another cascadian team that was interested in you uh portland because you went with you met with gavin wilkinson right yeah 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 again great great decision he took alasa khalifa alasa that that right yes yes because we were two that's supposed to come mls so since i said I, i would like to go vancouver he said to my manager that, okay, how about this one, Khalif Alassan? And he said, yeah, okay, so you take Khalif Alassan and Tom will take a uh, coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so That's it was a fun, though. And, and so then did you did you sign right away or did you come to Vancouver right away? So right there, I did not sign. But uh, they, they told me that when they get back to Vancouver, they will send me an invite. I have to go to the MIZ, get the visa, everything done. But at the same moment, I got a call up for U17. So they did it up. And this call up came to the same tournament that I played because we played against the U17. See, so uh, Tom said he would send me invite and stuff. So he sent me the invite. We got the visa and everything. But the day I supposed to leave, we supposed to play the qualifiers for the U17. So I, I, I skipped the Vancouver for five, six days. You know, but unfortunately too, I couldn't. I didn't. I didn't get the, the chance to play that game for one or two reasons. And I told my manager, "So what am I doing here? If I cannot play this U17, I need to go pursue my career." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes getting in those international games can be tricky, right? Yeah, yeah. And that was very tricky because I wasn't even married, and my visa was with me. I was supposed to go Canada today, and I was sitting in Ghana, not playing. So, so you so when you went to Vancouver, had you already signed the contract, or you went to Vancouver and then signed in Vancouver? I went to Vancouver to sign. Okay. Yeah, they got me the visa. I came to Vancouver. Even when I came to Vancouver, I didn't sign right away. Okay. Because the they they said to Tom that it's only Tom that came to me in Ghana, so they would love to see me play in person at least a couple of days. And we were training at uh, uh, SFU. SFU. Yeah. 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 So uh, we have to train there. there Greg and uh, Bob has to come there, see me train for two, three days before they sign me because they wanted to know that he's the player that they want to sign. Yeah. And if I wouldn't, if I didn't do well there, they wouldn't have signed me. Regardless that they're giving me visa, everything, they wouldn't have signed me. <laughs> so it's good that you performed well. Yeah. Just, just one one last question about the about this. Uh, in tw- uh, Pre-MLS, uh, aside from obviously your playoff goal against Portland, mm-hmm. are there any other highlights from that time, uh, the USL era, the build-up to the MLS before like before the first game? Any other things that stand out to you from that that little period of time? Um, I, I don't think the Portland game is my first game. No, no, but was you, was that your first goal? No, it was my first goal, but it wasn't my first game. Yeah, uh, I think we play with a team from. Oh, yeah. They wear orange jersey. It's a playoff too. Uh, Carolina Railhawks or, or Puerto no. Rico Islanders? Yeah, Puerto Rico. Yeah, we played them and that was my first game. And I saw the crowd. I know you were in the crowd, but I didn't see you. I didn't know you by the, by the smoke. Michael, Michael was in the crowd too. No. <laughs> so I saw the smoke behind our goal. And I was like, because Ghana, you cannot do that. You know, you cannot set the fire like that, smoke and stuff like that. Yeah, so, you're, not, you're not meant to do it here either. 
Uh, but you guys did it, and then uh, yeah, I saw the the smoke, and I was like, "What's going on?" They said they should call the fire service, something fire department, and the fans was going crazy. Like I love it, I really loved it. And I swung that, so that was my first game. I think we we tied, we went there, we tied it, and we skipped to the next phase of the playoffs. That's when we play Portland, and I got my first goal. I think I don't know. Is it before? It's under one minute. Yeah, it was it was like right away, and then there was yeah. there was so much smoke in that. I remember, I'll never forget that. Yeah. It was the smoke yeah. I ever saw it. Yeah, yeah. So and I think, those, I think those, Portland, Portland tried to stop the game because there was so much. Yeah, they, oh, yes. they tried to stop the game. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was it was really good good memories. And I see all these things like just happened yesterday. To be honest, yeah. So it's a fresh memory still in my mind. And uh, it's because you're so young. <laughs> Well, yeah, because <laughs> I, uh, we've got an article coming out on Saturday that's going to be like, where are they now from the 11 guys that played or started that game against TFC? And you're one of only three players from that first team that's actually mm -hmm. still playing. Because it's yourself, oh. Michael Boxall and Russell Tybert. So the three of oh. you are the only ones that's still playing. Everyone else is retired. I guess the three of us were the youngest at that time. Yeah, so that, that yeah. probably has a lot to do yeah. with that as well. Yeah, because, like I said, the first year we have a lot of guys, but they are not like so, so young, like 20, 21. You know, they've played around the world before they came to Vancouver. Eric Asley, Alan, Davidi, Terry Dunfield, not all of them, you know, they've played out before they came to Vancouver. But we, like, Boxer, myself, Russell, it's, our, it's like our, we coming up. And I'm really, really happy to see Russell still with the White Cups. And I respect him for that. Yeah. I, yeah. I spoke to him uh, yesterday, actually. Uh, so we've got him coming up on our, our show as well. So uh, nice. 10 years as a pro. Uh, mm -hmm. He obviously was with the club before that as well. So, I mean, we, we talked about your first goal there. So mm -hmm. we've got a question in on Twitter from Gideon Hill. You scored nine goals for the Whitecaps in MLS play. I think you might have got a couple others in non-MLS play as well. I'm not 100% sure of that. But when you look back at, at your Whitecaps goals, what is your favourite goal that you've scored as a Whitecap? Oh, this is a tough question. It's like I have Keith and you're asking me which one is my favourite. <laughs> oh, Steve, Steve picks his favourite all the time. Oh, yeah? <laughs> For me, it's yeah, I'll, I'll tell you my favorite goal of yours. It's oh, the one kids, where... But... Oh, okay. Yeah, I do pick up my favorite kids, too. But uh, but uh, the goal for you would be the Seattle one, uh, where uh, uh, Stephen Fry got caught completely out of net. Uh, and then you just... uh... It's mostly because of his embarrassment that I enjoyed it so much. <laughs> that was a great goal, though, because it wasn't yeah. even control that ball. And yeah. I, control... I didn't control the ball. I controlled it off of my... You know, so the players around me, they were complaining to the referee, but there was no VR. Yeah, no VR. <laughs> yeah, but also my, uh, I would say the, for me, for me, is the resort Lego. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, the one you pick is is a uh, incredible goal. You know, but uh, he gave me the, the, the choice to score that goal, uh, the goalie. You know, because Mondo, I think yeah. it was the goal I would not eat. Because that was easy goal. He said the controlling and the mindset wasn't wasn't just uh, easy because you have to know know where you're kicking the ball, right? But for me, it wasn't in the goal, so I was like, let me just kick the ball. Yeah, but the goal against uh, Salt Lake 
uh, will pick that. And I think that goal won the goal of the year for Whitecaps. I think it did, yeah. Gersh, did I hear you saying that if, if VAR existed, your goal from distance against Seattle would have been called back? <laughs> they were called back. 100% they were called back. <laughs> okay, l- let me ask you about a goal that was definitely not your most glamorous, but it was, it was, it was crucial. Um, I, I'm going to screw up the year now, and I, I, the year is actually really important, but uh, the opening round of the Voyagers Cup at home to Edmonton, we're, yes. losing, we're losing to Edmonton one nothing, I believe. And I believe also you have the weight not only of playing central midfield for the team, but I believe you had a w- heavy weight on your left arm because you were the captain in that moment. Yeah. And you yes. that, that little goal just in front of I made them score. I made them get their goal from the oh. right. Yeah, I lost the ball on oh. the wrong. They scored. I forgot yeah. about that part. Ah, good, good. You forget about that, but it's good you, you think about the good ones. But it, but it was a simple finish with your left foot, right? Like you were in the area. Yeah. But how was that? Was that was that 2015? Uh, yeah, mm, 2015. That was the year we won the exactly. The, yeah, and so that put the game equal, and then we went to Edmonton after we that. Went, right? Yeah, and Matthias Lavago be the hero in uh, Edmonton. Yeah, <laughs> how, like yeah, how big was that goal for you in that moment? There was uh, like I said, every time I get in front of the goal, I I am very calm because it's, it's I if I kick and I didn't score, I lose nothing. So I don't know why I should be in a rush to score. But I Jordan Avi across that ball, and I was in with Eric Etado. So Eric uh, hustled the defender, and the ball fell on my thigh. So the defender was and the goalie they were ready to 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 save the ball if I kick the first time. So I faked and brought the ball to my second, the, the, my left foot. Yeah. So they all, they were all on the other side. Yeah, that makes it easier for me to to put the ball. The, the other thing I love about your goals, other than maybe, from my memory, other mm-hmm. than maybe the 2011 one against Chicago, I think mm-hmm. they all were like massive goals in the game. Like they were key goals. Like that goal against Edmonton or Seattle is <laughs> always a big goal. Real Salt Lake was a massive goal. Yeah. Uh, the the I mean, for me, I think it was 2013, mm-hmm. the 1-0 against Toronto, the only goal of the game in the yeah. season. Yeah, yeah. Like, that one too. And uh, one more against the Galaxy. I think we tied that. Yeah. Well, now, this is where Michael's going to say he just wished you scored more goals. I was. That was exactly <laughs> what I was going to say next. Because it's like, that, we've talked about this in the show before, Gare. So I'm going to say it to your face because... I loved you here. You were a great player. You showed what you could do, but your consistency, I think, let you down because one game you'd be brilliant, maybe two games in a row you'd be brilliant, then you'd have an off day and the way the squad was going, you'd get dropped or things would change. And I mean, how, how hard was it to keep the consistency level going? And do you feel that yourself that you maybe just had a couple of good games and then dipped a little bit? Yeah, you're right. I, I felt it and uh, also the coaches at that time also made me known. And uh, it, it was like, I wasn't I wasn't thinking too much about that, but uh, it's the reality because I wasn't 100% consistent all the games. Some games I was off and I don't really, really don't know why. You know, sometimes I feel so heavy in the game that I don't know what to do and that let me down. And sometimes I just come, come to the game like, okay, I'm going to win this game. I want this game so much, but I never sat for a minute and feel like, ah, today I'm going to go to the field and just have a nice 
like relaxed game. No, I always want to come in and win. But it's, it's football, you know, and to keep the consistency going on is uh, is another level. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference that you see in Europe, that the, the guy always up there, always up there. And also it comes to it comes to off the field stuff. You know, it's not just on the field because when after training do you have problems from home, back home, do you have calls that let you down a bit, which I did at that time because coming from where from Ghana and stuff, you know, I have a lot of responsibilities. And sometimes my mom would give me a call that she's not feeling well. And those things come in, but I can that it's not an excuse, but it just drains me down sometimes and I cannot share because I just wanted to play. Which if I share with uh, with a with a psychologist or someone they could have helped me to be on top of my game every 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 weekend. You know, so these things weigh me down sometimes. I I can I totally relate to that. Both my parents are, are back in Scotland and they're they're not in good health. And when you're that far away from your family, it's tough because yeah. it's like you, you can't just go and see them and you can't get back. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that I think that explains a, a lot about that. And, of, of course, there, there's a reason why players are in MLS as well because mm-hmm. it's like if you were having that level of consistency week in, week yeah. out, as you say, you'd yeah. be out with a European club. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But, you know, again, we cannot, I cannot sit here and be like, they are the main cause of that. But, uh, yeah. you know, also I can psych myself up but the little things also count. Like I said, if I got like someone to talk to, explain to, who can also tell me that no, take this off, go to the game with this mindset, you know, it could help. But at that time, I was young, and I feel like I would not need a psychologist. I do not need a sports psychologist to talk to me because I feel like I can handle everything, you know. But now, at my age right now, I will be 30, 30 in three, four months time. I, if I'm facing the same problems now, I would like to talk to someone. Yeah. Yeah. Good mm-hmm. call there. Um, a question from YouTube, uh, Austin Sweeney uh, asked, what was your favorite moment in a Whitecaps jersey? Uh, I guess the, when we won the Canadian Cup. It's, it's just because, you know, it's the first time and, and uh, it remains the first time in my heart. And yeah, I guess so- the, the celebrations were fantastic that day. It was, and you know what? It was two days after my birthday. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, so it was a special one. Because we, we, we talked about it before because we interviewed, uh, I think, Russell Tybert after, and he just smelled <laughs> of alcohol afterwards. <laughs> you couldn't smell anything else. Yes, um, everyone. I have pictures that I was pouring beer on, on Bob, Bobby's yeah. head. Yeah, oh. I was just praying. I never did this with Bob. I cannot do this with Bob on yeah. a regular visit. So... So it was a special uh, night for me. Uh, uh, yeah. Who who were some of your favorite teammates during the you know the five, five six years you were here? Uh Russell first. He's still my favorite, <laughs> you know. And uh, Weston. Ah, yeah. You know, yeah. I think he's in India. I haven't met him since I've been here. I haven't yeah, met him. yeah. He. Yeah. I don't. I think he's yeah. still with Indy, but. Yeah, yeah, he he was there the last couple of seasons for sure. Yeah, when I came, I asked about him, and they said he's he's working with some youth program and stuff. But time to time, he comes to the training ground, so I'm waiting to see him. I can't wait. So he was, and also Eric Ashley is like like a big brother to me, and uh, Davidi Alan 
I can, I can mention a lot, you know, because they were all nice to me. But I, I'm willing to learn. And they feel like, okay, let's teach him. Why not? He's a, he's a very humble guy. Why, why can't we teach him? So I have a lot of favorite people there. But Russell Tibet is, is, is my first. <laughs> Do you still keep in touch with a lot of the guys? Yeah, time to time I keep in touch with Ashley, Davidi, uh, Russell. Um, no. And also recently Kendall Washington, Matthias Laba. You know, I met the old and the new guys so I've, because I've, I was there for a while. <laughs> yeah, you spent some time in Costa Rica with, with the Wastons, right? So, you know. Ah. Yeah, became a family uh, more than just a teammate. Yeah. So, the, the, what 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 are the, some of the things you miss about the city, Vancouver? Huh. Some of the things that I miss about the city is, uh, well, I I love Vancouver very well. I miss the summer in Vancouver because there are a lot of things going on in downtown in uh, in uh, what is Gastown. I love Gastown. We got a lot of nice, nice restaurants there, and um, yeah, I love the the water. I don't li- I live not too far from the water, so I like to go by the water and just walk by, have a breeze, and um, hopefully I'll come back soon. You know, to come visit. I don't know about coming back to play. <laughs> uh, um, you, we were talking a little bit about winning the the the, the first. And as of now, the only Voyagers Cup in, in Vancouver. Is it? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the only thing the Whitecaps have won in 10 years in MLS. Outside of the... Outside of the won, Cup. I thought they won twice, no? It's just one? No, just well, once. Twice twice qualified for the Champions League, but only one Voyagers Cup. It would have been uh, twice if we had our man on the back post against Montreal, but don't set me off on that again. But <laughs> <laughs> you, you, Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we won't talk about whose responsibility that was. No, no. <laughs> um, but no, that that night was special. Austin was mentioning in the comments as well. Mm-hmm. At the end of the game, obviously, there's the emphatic and epic uh, celebrations on the pitch. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of people uh, remember mm-hmm. Pamuduka yeah. and the motorized yeah. vehicle, motorcycle, uh, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And then you guys with the uh, with the your teammates and everyone in the club on the pitch and stuff. Um, and then after that, you guys came over to celebrate with the supporters. Um, yeah. I, like, yeah, I, I mean, I think I've said this before on the show, but I don't know if not, if not the, my favorite moment as being a supporter, uh, definitely one of them is yeah when you brought over the Voyagers cup, uh, the, our first ever Voyagers cup yeah. uh, to, to celebrate with us and the supporters. You came you brought it over. You were the person, you were the man. And then a bunch of the other guys came over. Austin mentions it in the comments here on, on, um, on YouTube about how you and then Paulo handed him and his buddy, the cup and how mm-hmm. it was such a memorable, memorable day. Um, yeah. yeah. What was, uh, like, obviously, so you, there's stuff on the field, stuff with the fans and you went in the locker room and stuff. Like, did you did you guys have a sense of how how big it was for like for the fans? Yeah, I, I you know to I will talk about me for for myself because you know everybody have their perception about about how they come. But me, I I because I think that was the even the that that finals was the only final I played because previously we've been to the final a couple of times, but I never played for some reason I don't know. So that that they Robo asked me. Do you want to play? I want to. I want to bench you this game so you can play the league. And I said no. I want to win this one. 
this is very important to me personal. So you see how much important I took the, 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 that game personal. I took it personal that I know we, the cup's supposed to be here. You know, so I know if I take it personal, I know how big it is for the fans, for the city, because I read the history and White Castle haven't won it forever. So I don't know when I will leave White Cups, maybe next year, but I want to win. I won't be the first one to win it. Yeah. You know, so that was my, my mindset before the game. I want to be the first one to win it. It's, it's interesting to hear you say that Robo asked you if you wanted to play. That's some... Yeah, because, you know, that, that, that year, Robo didn't... Some games, he didn't play me, you know. He played me away games, like uh, the Orlando game we won. You know, home game, he didn't play me. So before that game, I, and that is why he played me that game, that game against Edmonton, and he gave me the captain, because I wasn't playing the league game. Right. So he told me that, okay, go play. You want to play, the, go play. You'll be the captain. You know, so I was so happy that uh, we could uh, we won that that trophy. I'm so happy, and I know it's big for the city and the fans too. Yeah, I I also again mentioned the Voyagers Cup without thanking you again because not only did you celebrate with all the supporters that night, but then mm-hmm. later in the year uh, mm-hmm. we 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 borrowed the the cup and we <laughs> went to our Tifo Creation Ghetto Warehouse place in in uh, at Fourth and. Oh, fourth in May. I remember. Yeah, you came and Kendall mm-hmm. and Priscilla came mm-hmm. and hung out, yeah. celebrated, yeah. and talked about some stuff we were doing. And yeah, that was that was the yeah. things. The things that you and some of your teammates did that were like above and beyond. You weren't being paid as a public mm-hmm. appearance by the club and stuff. You just did it uh, out of the goodness of your heart and to connect. Like, yeah, I think mm-hmm. you'll forever be remembered for those for those kinds of things, as well as your play on the field and your spectacular goals and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate it because it means a lot for us too, you know, because the city, the team is the city. So we, we can't play. Sometimes we will leave. Like Kendall is not there. None of us is there today, today, but the city is still there. Yeah. You know, the fans are still there. And like, where's my boy, Kev? You know, he's growing and he's still, he's still a fan for White Cups too. So he, he will remember because he was there. When we won this trophy, he was there. <laughs> so you, it's good for the fans. And I really love you guys. That's oh, great to hear that. I mean, you, you, you had six years here, five of them in MLS. How tough was it to end up leaving? 2015 was your last season here. Yeah. How Did you have any choice in that? Did you want to stay? Was it that Robbo just didn't really see a, a role for you here anymore? Yeah, I really wanted to stay more because I, it wasn't in my plan to leave. You know, I wasn't thinking about leaving Vancouver uh, uh, any time soon around that moment because I personally, when that was my first professional club, you know, so I wanted to win things with Vancouver, not just the Canadian Cup. Mm. You know, I want to win things. And if you can remember the playoffs, we went a little bit further, you know, which we, the, the following year, 2016, we're coming back to build on what we left. You know, but a couple of changes came in and uh, Robo, uh, I had a call from Robo. He sat with me and he said, kid, I don't think Robo really want me to leave, but uh, he couldn't tell me. I can tell that he's, he's, he's talking to me based on what he's been told. I don't know who, you know, because he, he's talking to me like, okay, kid, this is the situation. I cannot tell you who and who making decisions, but... Uh, they, they would like you to be traded, you know, 
And that year, I was supposed to end my my uh, contract with Vancouver. So either they have to renew my 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 contract, ah. or maybe they feel like okay, we have enough of him. I didn't have enough of Vancouver, you know. But maybe they feel like okay, we because of business, we have to let him go and make some other place. Came back. I was supposed to go Colorado, and this is why I love Robo. I love Robo for this. When they trade a player in the MLS. It's, it's hardly for the for the player to choose. Yeah. You know, but Robo stood it for me, stood in for me. He told me that, okay, I spoke to Tom and uh, Tom would like it to come to New England, even though New England is not going to give us all the money that Colorado would give us. Because of your service for Vancouver, if you wanted to go to New England to join Tom and you'll get more playing time there, I'll let you go. And I have to face Vancouver, the board with this. So I respect him for that. So that was a decision that I didn't want to leave, but you know, it's business and uh, you have to respect that. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you played under four mm. managers in Vancouver. If, if you include Tommy Soane, most of us try not to, but if, if we will include him as a manager. So you had yeah. Tater, you had Tommy, you mm-hmm. had Martin, and you had Robbo. Mm-hmm. Who, who did you get on best with? I was going to ask who your favourites were, but since one of them is your current manager, that's maybe not fair to ask you that. But how did you get on with all with the, with the different managers? Yeah, this is, I'm going to give you very honest answers here. So you see, my coach, my current coach right now, my current manager, he put me on my toes. He really did, because he was working with Robo. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, Robo and Paul Ritchie was his assistant. And he was working with Robo. When Robo came in, Robo has played football. He has played my position. So he gave me to Robo. Even though he was the manager, he called Robo. Me and him and Robo had a meeting in the locker room when he came in. And he said to Robo that, okay, I'm giving you this one to coach him. And if any problems, I'll come to you, Robo. So when Martin didn't talk to me much in Vancouver, it's Robo. He will send Robo. Robo will come talk to me. This is how I want. This is how I want. This is what, what we want. This is what, so it's like uh, it was so it was a good connection. You know, both of them was working with me, but Martin is making it a little bit tougher for me to, to stay up there. And if you can realize that was his, his, his Martin started at score a couple of goals. Yeah. And I was on top of my game. So even though he wanted me to be on top of my game, he was trying to push me to Robo. <laughs> You know, so I would say he's, he, Martin is my favorite, but it's not everybody that knows why, because I'm very close with Robo. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Came close, closer with Robo because Martin gave me to Robo. Well, we'll come back to Martin in a, in a few minutes. I, I don't want to keep you too much longer because I know it's coming up for 11 o'clock at night where you I, are just but, now, but we're, we're enjoying chatting to you and we've still got a, a few more things to to ask you I'll, I'll take some questions from the the chat because we've got some questions coming in just now let's see chris harrop says if you could have the playing ability of mm-hmm. any of the guys that you have played with and it doesn't have to be white caps players just any player that you've played with if mm-hmm. you could have had their ability who who would you like to have the ability of david david community oh my god I don't know. He was born with football. I, I have no idea how, how he does it, but he's so so special with with his touch, his technique, everything. 
I would love to have it. I have a good technique, but he's, he's on another level. And I learned a little bit from him, you know, because sometimes after training, he would teach me some things. Yeah, so I would love to have his ability because he's not too physical, you know, but he can yeah. do everything. Yeah. I, he was another player that frustrated me in that first year because yeah. his consistency wasn't there and you saw the quality and you know what he could do and it just, for whatever reason, it just it didn't come to the fore. But, you see, I, so, so these things are one of the, like I explained mine, it's things that when you have the players like you asking me, he can explain. Like I explained that sometimes he's from home, sometimes he's this, sometimes maybe he was facing one or two challenges because... A good player like him, and not not be on his on his top level in in MLS, there should be a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah there should. I'll let Steve ask you. A, a, yeah, a few one more here. one question from Navid uh, in the chat. Now I know you guys probably didn't cross paths at the same time, but considering he was born in Ghana as well, uh, when you played against him, what were your thoughts on Alfonso Davies? Ooh, uh, Alfonso Davies. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you played it. Uh, were teammates of him, but you played against him, especially that first year. Preseason? Did you have preseason with him? Uh where? No. Uh, okay. No, I uh, never played against him. No. No, no. Oh, you didn't play. But what are your thoughts about him and what he's he's accomplished? I, I met Alfonso uh, when I was in Vancouver. You know, yeah. I went to a, I went to a, where did they train the youth? I forget. Well, Burnaby. Uh, yeah. So I go watch them. I went watch them, and I asked the coach, the youth coach, who is this boy. So he called him for me and I asked him questions and he said, oh, I'm from Ghana, blah, blah, blah. The minute he says he's from Ghana, I love it. <laughs> you know, because he's so good. He was, he was so good. So I told him that uh, if you can focus on your game, I don't know where you will be, but you'll be a great player. Great player. And I see him just exploring so fast. So I left Vancouver 2015. When he was, before I left, he was, he was training with us. Oh wow! Yeah, he was training, but not fully yeah. because they, when we don't have much players, Robo would let the youth coach bring two or three players, and he would be one of them, you know. But whenever he comes in, he's so quiet, he's so shy. But when training begins, is is something else, you know. With with his age and running players in and out, I see I see great great things in up front, and I'm not surprised to see him where he is now. And I think he, he will be. It will be going even even more higher. Yeah, I have higher expectation for my for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one other uh, question for you: um, you you've played after you know after MLS, you played in you know Norway, Kuwait, Israel. Um, mm-hmm. Those moves are obviously very diverse. What were your like? Uh, how, how did those moves go? And then what brought you back to North America? So I was in, uh, actually, I was in uh, Kuwait. I went to Israel a year apart. So after Israel, I came back to, I came back last summer. So when I came back, I was planning to go back to uh, maybe Middle East, Europe, somewhere. It wasn't my plan to come back to uh, North America. But uh, last year was COVID. And when I was in Israel, they, they closed borders and I just had my baby, you know, 2019, end of 20 December, I had my baby. So 2020, January, February, March, April, I couldn't see my baby. I couldn't see my daughter and it was, it was killing me. So 
when they open the borders and they open the, the, the airport in Israel, that time the season finished. So I said, no, let me go. So when I got back, I don't know what the next thing will be. Maybe if I travel again, I might not see my baby no more. So my mind, I sat with my wife. We discussed. I did, it's not only me decision. <laughs> I sat with my wife. We discussed. And I told her that I wanted to be closer because family is everything. So I wanted to get back to the MLS. And the, but I, when I got back, MLS is almost in quarantine. They were playing the MLS comeback and stuff. So it's very difficult to find a team. So my agent worked with, uh, tried to find me a team, but most of them were saying that because the season is almost end, we cannot bring players in and out. So therefore the months are going up without me playing. And the longer you haven't played, the difficult to find a team. So I told my wife, you know what? Let's, let me just forget about football for 2020 and let's just, let me just be with you and the baby to get connection. So we stay, we stay. And then in November, we went to Ghana to, you know, because I took the privilege that I'm not playing. I went to Ghana for everything. But we made a plan that I want to come back to MLS. Because I haven't played for a long time, it will be very difficult to get the MLS. So my agent told me that, how about we find the USL first? You go there, you prove yourself for a year, and then you can come back to MLS. And that's why I end up here. <laughs> so he spoke to, to uh, Martin Rainey, and he said, yeah, I would like to have coffee. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> I think Michael has some questions for you about, about Indy and stuff. Before we get to those, just a couple more <laughs> from, from, the, from uh, the YouTube chat here, Gersh. Um, a couple of questions, yeah. Uh, so this is from uh, Naz Catania. Uh, mm -hmm. An awesome dude. Uh, and he wants to know, uh, and I'm going to ask you this question in two ways. His question is, who was the toughest player to play against? So I'm going to ask you about who you played against, like, in a game. Uh, and then of your teammates you've had over the years, could be white caps, could be otherwise, who's the toughest player you've played against in training? So in competitive in matches and in training, who's the toughest player? In training, it's Matthias Laba. <laughs> Did he kick you lots? I, he didn't get to kick me, maybe, but when you dribble him, you come back, you know, like you kill him, he come back. You kill him, he come back, you know. <laughs> so, then, who's the toughest opponent you had to play against? Top, uh, two players, though. Uh, Alonso, with uh, is it with Minnesota now? See, yeah, but he was with Seattle when you played him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was with Seattle and Chara. So, Portland and Seattle. Wow. These two, and I respect them. They give they, me the respect back. Did so, they kick you, though? I did, they did, I did back. <laughs> they kick, I kick them back, you know, but I respect both these two players. Okay, one other question from the chat here comes up also from Austin. Uh, he wants to know, when you were growing up, what was your favorite football club? Football club, Real Madrid. Oh, okay. Ah. Real Madrid. Why, so, why, why, why Real? Why? I don't know. I just was it a particular player or that you liked or no? Before okay, so I liked Real Madrid already, and then Zidane became because Zidane was my number one. Oh. So Zidane became Real Madrid player, and so I just love Real Madrid. And uh, maybe Zach will know about me and Arsenal. You know, Arsenal. I, I liked Arsenal, not the team, but Henry uh, Thierry, and they have Patrick Vieira. Is that, why yeah. your friend, is that why you're friends with Maddie Watson? <laughs> because he's, I didn't even know he's, he's an Arsenal fan until the last, until before I left Vancouver. Yeah. 
So, uh, you know, Arsenal is just a couple of players, but Real Madrid is just the name. I just love the team. See, yeah. if you'd come back last year to MLS, you could have been playing under Thierry in, in Montreal. Yeah, yeah. You know, if if the tennis, the Israel League is like, they, they, they start and finish like Europe. They start in right. summer. You know, and then they finish in the, like they have, they'll finish maybe next month or two months. You know, and that time, MLS is in the middle of the season already. So if you finish there, you come back and I don't know, I came back on the wrong time just because COVID was around. So it was very difficult. But if I had come back, if I had came back like around November, December, I know how, how it's easy to get back to the MLS. Because MLS, they do MLS uh, 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 overdraft. They have a lot of things going on in the MLS that you yeah. can get yourself back in there. At least one team could pick you. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we will see you back here one day. I, just a couple, couple last things just to finish off for you, Gersh. Um, I want to talk about India Living. So you're going to be starting in the USL mm-hmm. under Martin Rennie. Yeah. We, we need to get him on the show. I don't know why we haven't actually spoken to him before now. I'll try and do that. Have a, have a word with him for us. Yeah, tell me why yeah. to get him on. But I, I guess... Speaking to me, it'll be getting you used to the accent again before you mm-hmm. before you get back there. But what what's it like working under under Martin again? Because I know you had your game against Cincinnati today. Um, mm-hmm. how, how did that go? And like, how's it been so far for you with Indy? Mm, okay, so I got I got here last week. I haven't you know, so I've trained with the team like maybe six days. And you know, me, I haven't played for a long time. Yeah, so it was a uh, bit hard for me to get back but you know uh fitness is coming up i'm getting my legs back today's game i can feel me because we play 45 he got two groups so we play 45 45 and i see myself getting back getting my legs back no even though it's not up there but i love working with martin raining why because he is in vancouver he, i didn't like to talk to him one-on-one you know i don't like talking to coaches one-on-one i like to talk to the assistant coaches more but yeah since i've been here you you after training on the field he will come to me so are you see because why he see me as a senior player when he was in vancouver i was one of the youngest yeah but yeah i'm maybe i'm the third oldest player here you know and he knew that i've been there i've played many games under him under many coaches so he's giving me that respect in vancouver he was he was doing the same with kenny he was doing the same with Nigel Ryokoka because he knew that they are there. You know, so here he's doing the same with me. After training, he'll come talk to me if you need anything. When is your wife coming? When is the babies? That, that, that is the family. He, he's been really nice. And uh, I think there is something good going on here. Uh, and uh, we should be doing good for when the season starts. Last question from the, the chat. This is from Twitter from Yukon Scott. He wants to know... What advice would you give a player coming to Vancouver from overseas or to MLS in general? Like, What advice would you give these guys? Say there was another guy from Ghana or another African player wanting to come here. What advice would you give them? Uh, uh, so I would, uh, I would, I would, my advice is when he gets to Vancouver, he should ask for the Southsiders. <laughs> and if you ask for that, he will see that the long beard <laughs> and that will show him where to go, where not to go off the field. Because this is important. It's, it sounds funny, but 
is is most important thing. On the field, you are training. You have no choice. You have to train. But when you're not training, it's what makes you the best player. Because are you staying home? Are you going to places that you're not supposed to go to find yourself in troubles? Yeah, we've had a few of those. for me, I, I haven't been in Vancouver. I haven't been in the places that there is fight and problems and troubles. No, you know, I don't. It's just, I just, if I'm not home, I'm at the barber shop. Yeah, that's my base, you know, because a lot of Ghanaian guys will come there. And even with them, I don't go. If they said we want to go here, I don't go with them because I came here, I represent Vancouver. And if something happens to me, it's Vancouver. You know, so I advise any youth that's coming from foreign that's coming from Ghana, anywhere around the world, that when they get to Vancouver, it's a really, really nice city. It's really nice. That, but don't, don't, don't get carried away. Just know the reason why you're there and then play football, like soccer, play. And uh, everything will come to you. The fans, when they see you on the street, they will love you, they will respect you. But if you're not performing, all these things cannot come around you. You need to perform first. So... That's my advice. <laughs> and the very last thing I'm going to ask you, it's about mm-hmm. Terry Dunfield. No, it's not. It's a, running, it's a running joke that I won't go into with you just now. But I, apparently he's very big in the shower. But that, that's, a, that's a whole other story. The, the last thing I want to ask you is... We, we do this with all the guys. I never mm-hmm. asked you this when you were here. So it's it's a multi-part question. It's a fun thing that we do. It's the first time we've done it live on a show. Mm-hmm. You're sitting at home. You mm-hmm. want to have a hot beverage. What would mm-hmm. be your hot beverage of choice? A tea? A coffee? Something more exotic? Ah, tea. I love tea. Tea. Yeah, I'm, I'm a guy, though. I just love tea. And do you have my, a... wife, my wife is trying to teach me more coffee, but I'm not oh. going with it. No, tea, tea's good. No, she's, she's in Montreal. Montreal is cold. It's snow. You would drink coffee. <laughs> tea's hot as well, though. You can have hot tea. Yeah, I can have more than four. Oh. Uh, just watch one episode. Do you have a sweet tooth? Do you like, like biscuits? Yeah, I do. What would be your biscuit of choice to have with your cup of tea? We have something we call cream crackers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like a cream cracker. I like that with tea. Because it's a little bit salty. It's not sugar. You know, so when you add up with the tea. And tea, I don't like sugar in it as well. I just like the the whole milk. Do you you eat any sugar? Sometimes. Sometimes. It's good, you know. We need, we need, but not too much. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? 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 Well, thank you for joining us, especially after having played a game today as well. So, I mean, and driving a couple of hours to get back home. So, really appreciate that. I know it's after 11 o'clock there. It was great fun catching up with you again. It was great watching you here. Wish you mm-hmm. all the very best for Indy this year. And Thank hopefully we'll, we'll see you back in MLS and we can chat in person soon. Hopefully. Hopefully. And hopefully see me soon in Vancouver. You know, either play or either visit. But we're going to come by with the family soon.
and I really appreciate you having, having me. Zach, don't be a ghost. Great stuff from Gersh there. And as I mentioned, you can see our chat if you want to watch it on AFTN's YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada. And as I mentioned, it's not just Gersh that is in our live stream that we did on Friday night. There's a lot more fun stuff in it as well. We're looking at jerseys, just chatting a little bit more about 2011 and some other stuff as well. So check that out. And you might feel I've kind of done this 10th year anniversary stuff to death this week. I, I genuinely feel it's a, a very important occasion in the, the Whitecaps history and I, I love marking occasions like this. I really enjoyed our, our year-long celebrations that we had with the, the soccer ball back in 2019 and I've, I've got a lot out of this week. I've really enjoyed it. Hope you have too. There's still one more piece that's going to be coming on Saturday. Might come out before this podcast, might come out after it. We were kind of doing now. where are they now from the start and 11 off that Whitecaps team? We've only got a little bit more that we're going to chat about things from back then. Coming up in the next part, we're going to look at the other team that joined MLS on that day. Portland Timbers, their trajectory in Major League Soccer, their success in Major League Soccer has been different from the Whitecaps. They've won an MLS Cup, they lost another one. They qualified for the playoffs six out of the last eight seasons. How have they done it? What have the differences been? We're going to look at all of that and hear from Portland Timbers general manager Gavin Wilkinson after this. Hi, I'm Carl Valentine. You're listening to the AFTN podcast. <laughs> Я беспотный бастополный, let's rock Baby, танцел ты на Игована Клаб Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the latest song from this month's Artist of the Month, Russian techno band DLB, with their song Havana Club, taken from their new album, 13 Litres of Water. There's two videos of that. One of them is called The Mood Video, which has English subtitles to, to what they're singing. Um, and part of the song, as you just heard, is a little bit in English as well. But it's got the lovely Loli dressed up in a kind of Macintosh rain jacket, doing all her rave dancing thing with a like, mask and stuff on. 
podcast. That's what you want to check out. We'll have more from DLB in next week's show. Now, I have a, a quick uh, trivia question for you guys um, about the 2011 club. Um, I know we talked about Russell Tiber in part one about being part of the team and everything still. What other player that was part of the Whitecaps, quote unquote, is still contributing to the Whitecaps' his time? Do you know that? Oh, still contributing. I thought you were going to say to MLS. No, I was going to say John no, Thorrington. But, oh. No. No, he's still contributing. His time here is still contributing to the... Uh, it's a roundabout question, but I thought it would be funny. So oh, someone oh, that was I in know. the squad for the, the no, first I know. season. I, I think he I know. was quote-unquote with the Whitecaps. I know. I know the answer. Oh. Go ahead. It's, are you going... Is this the, the, is the answer Senai Nayasi? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> The the uh what's it called the expansion draft pick yes. to Colorado for, for an international spot until 2031. Yeah, that's I think that's the uh, I think the 20 years of international picks. That's a yeah. great. But like when you think like right now the going spot price for an international spot is about one seven five. That's for tremendous one, for one year. Uh-huh. One one year uh, one seven five. So so again. As much as we have concerns about some of his contributions to, to the Vancouver Whitecaps, we've heard from Gershon Kofi, and and we've heard we've we've been reminded about Senna and Asi that Tom Zoen did do do some positive things. I can't wait for the Sayani Nasi memorial stand. So so uh, so just just think of this: if we go, say we don't say one seventy-five, say we say one fifty, right? If we go one fifty average year. Basically, we got three million dollars for a Senate Nasi. That's one. That's one. One fifty for twenty years. It's one fifty for twenty years. Yeah, because it's going to be lower yeah. and higher over those twenty. Even years, if you so. go, even if you go to one hundred, say just drop it down to one hundred, you're still getting two million for a Senate Nasi. <laughs> oh man, when you break it down like that, that is insane. Unbelievable. Up until Alfonso Davies, he might have been the most valuable sale of the Whitecaps. Jeez, yeah, he's our most expensive. Yeah, <laughs> he's brought the second most money into the club. Also, well, yeah. Octavio brought it quite a bit too. Oh yeah, yeah. But he beats is. he beats Inbom, I think. Yeah, I don't know about that. Is hmm. I, that, there's all these add-ons. Likely, yeah. I think they're, yeah, I think they're yeah, add-ons. Probably. Well, that was a good bit of business by the Whitecaps in the last ten years. If if you look at the last ten years of the Whitecaps, it's not been successful we've got to be honest it's like there's no sugar coating it the last 10 years in mls have been fairly crap we've got a canadian championship voyager's cup trophy one one solitary one as we talked to gersh about there he was part of that team we've also had three cascadia cup sack as well mm-hmm. take those away and apart from whoa, the odd whoa, game whoa, here whoa 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 whoa, 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 whoa. do not Devalue take those away. <laughs> your favorite Mickey Mouse cup. Don't start me on that again, or we will end up with a three hour. It's show. in the trophy cabinet, is it not? Is it? I thought it was. Well, we're not the current holders, it shouldn't be. Oh, I think oh, I think that trophy <laughs> they make one every year, my friend. <laughs> oh. Oh, see the perks of MLS. Has it got the sponsor's name on it yet? I don't know. But <laughs> let's not get into that kind of worms either. But like apart from the Voyager's Cup, Cascadia Cup, some highlight games, some quality games. There's been two playoff semi-final appearances. 
We've made the playoffs on a couple of other occasions and, and bounced out as well. We've made the, the playoffs basically four times over the, the 10 MLS years. Semi-final or conference? We- Western Conference semi-final, yeah, okay. sorry, I, yeah. I should say. So there's been yeah, two sorry. Western Conference semi-final appearances, both of which we went out with a whimper and not a bang. We didn't score one goal in either of the two legs against Cascadian rivals. Terrible stuff. And if you look at our Cascadian rivals, obviously Seattle's had a great decade and they've been in the, the league for 12 years. But I want to talk a little bit in this part about Portland and the difference between Portland and Vancouver. Portland and Vancouver came into the league on the same day, March 19th, 2011. While we were getting off to a 4-2 flying start, they were going down to a 3-1 defeat at Colorado Rapids, who were the current MLS champs. Oh, how things have changed in MLS in the last 10 years. And they got a goal with 83 minutes on the clock. That was their first MLS goal. They were three down, though, 30 minutes into the game. So big, big difference in how both teams started that. End of the first season, Whitecats finished bottom of the heap in MLS. Portland were 12th, kind of consolidated, found their foot in in the, the first two seasons. Year two, the Whitecaps made the playoffs, but were bounced out by LA Galaxy. Portland still didn't make the playoffs in the second year, and you're thinking, ha, we're leaving those behind. But then, in the eight years since that, Portland have made the playoffs six times, we've made it three times, they've won an MLS Cup in 2015, they got beat in the 2018 MLS Cup. Oh, it's it's a big, big gulf in terms of achievements as to what the teams have done. And I put it down to 2015. I think that was the turn point season for how the teams have gone off in, in different trajectories. That playoff game, we've talked about it countless times on the show. We could have won against Portland. We should have won against Portland. They then went on and lifted the cup. That could easily have been Vancouver. I do think we could have won it that season. And for me, that was the turning point. But if you look back, just in the 10 years, the difference between what these teams have achieved, it's night and day, Zach. That's a missed question. I'm sorry. I, that was on my potential questions list for Gersh. We should have asked Gersh about that away leg in Portland because he was mm. he was asked to play in the role of a 10 that day, which is not to his to his forte well funnily uh, enough when he was joking about he might come back to mls one day i was going to say can you play as a 10 i'd actually forgotten about that he can't so let's move on but but um no i mean you you can't compare you can't like the clubs are it's hard to compare them right like vancouver does not feel in portland's league uh in terms of their ambition uh or their approach um portland has uh invested heavily in, in in going after talented attacking players in South America. And they've had some big hits. They've had a few misses, mm. but they've invested heavily in that. Um, I, don't, I don't even know if we, pop, we even know the exact numbers they've invested in that because I believe Diego Valeri is one of the players like Ignacio Piatti in the league who they don't actually broadcast his true salary so that his family isn't held for ransom back home in Argentina. Oh, um, wow, really? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Um, wow. They they got special permission. Like I'm pretty in Montreal. They got special. Per- well, they got special permission in Montreal for sure to not post his full salary. I think they might have even post him on like a lower or minimum the minimum DP salary or something because 
yeah, it's a it's like a security issue for his for his family. Jeez. And and Merritt Paulson, I believe Merritt Paulson told me to my face once at BC Place or yeah, BC Place that because uh, I was asking him about some of his conversations he was having on Twitter once. Uh, I think he told I think he told me that um, yeah, he told me that the the M- the MLSPA numbers do not reflect the fullness of what what some players are actually paid. Um, for and I think that in part he was probably talking about Diego Valeri. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, you can't, you cannot compare them on investment. You can't compare them on stadium, right? They, they own the stadium. They do so many amazing things with, with that facility or they do they, I forget they own it, but they have, they have immense control over that stadium. <laughs> um, and, and the, the things that they've done there to make it meaningful for, for that, like, I don't, Michael, you remember that was a baseball stadium, right? Yeah. We used to go back there. It was, yep. it was nice in the baseball stand part of it, but it sucked every, you know, all the other ways. And they've turned that into an actual home, a fortress, like a desirable place, not just a, I mean, aside from the turf, a desirable place to play and uh, an amazing place to be a supporter. Um, and yeah, uh, the other thing, you know, the off the field stuff, I mean, they do great work in the community from what I understand, but even on the supporter side of things, as, 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 as much as Portland is known for a great supporter culture, their relationship with their supporters hasn't always been rosy and yet they've still worked through some hard things. They've still, they've still been able to either come to an agreement or uh, allow things to progress in such a way that their supporters are for the most part, I think very happy and, and very, or yeah, very happy about, about some of the, the important things. And well, success um, on the pitch also helps like yeah, totally. calm supporter to- ire. Totally. Totally. Um, but yeah, investment. I mean, it's not it's not all just down either to money spent. And, nope. and it's like, get Steve's thoughts on this as well. It's recruitment. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, there's been some busts uh, in Portland with the guys that they've brought in. But then yeah. you think of Vancouver, and it's like, it's like DPs, Mustafa Jarju, Rivero, who didn't have a great season, but we at least did sign him on. Um, Joaquin Ardiez. It's like, they, these are big, big misses. And Portland has had some misses, and maybe it's because we don't follow them, that they don't jump out at you the same way. But just in general, the recruitment is better. You can even go yeah. back to Darlington Nagby getting picked in the draft. It's like better recruitment. They're basically, they've invested more into the, that, that's out of the scouting part of it. Yeah, and scouting, I, I guess, is what I was hinting at, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's that's the biggest difference there, that they, they're able to pluck these guys and put them in the right situation. And 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 basically get the right player for that spot that they want, and they have they've had a system consistent. Um, unlike the Whitecaps, who constantly jumping back from system to system, as we remember over the years. Uh, one thing I want to mention though is that 2015 MLS Cup that you guys are talking about. I still don't feel is a legitimate <laughs> cup. I, I was waiting. I was like, why is it taking you this long to say that? Because the ball was clearly out of bounds oh, on the yeah. on the winning goal. So well, that could have been Vancouver's ball that was clearly out of bounds. Yeah, yeah, totally. That, that, if there was VAR, no, no, they would have called it then if it was Vancouver. Yeah, if it, yeah, if there's VAR that doesn't doesn't happen. The the other, the other thing to say about the recruitment and stuff, right? And even when they failed big time, right? Like, are like arguably debatably because I can't think of all the numbers and all the other people, but debatably or arguably one of their biggest failures was paying five million for Milano. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember him, Milano, M E L A N O. 
was a oh, winger, was like yeah. a wide player. Yeah. They paid so much money for him. I remember uh, some people in Vancouver, I know, were talking to the people in Portland, like, why did you pay this much for him? And there was reasons and whatever. But so even a player who like that, who was a bust, he still scored like the goal that put them into the MLS Cup final that year against against away against Dallas, I think it was. You know, so even when even though he was a bust and like he was like widely recognized as they overpaid and he wasn't as good as he was supposed to be and whatever, the dude still scored the goal that got them into the MLS Cup final that they won. Yeah, and and for a team that uh, you know, uh, Oregon's not considered uh, like at that time they weren't considered a highly um, there went there wasn't very much talent there um, for from coming from the academy like our academy was mm. constantly trounced theirs. So yeah. Um, so they they did they found other ways to bring players in. They used the college draft. They they found good players in that college draft to supplement the players that they got internationally and abroad. I mean, look, looking at the the overall stats, ten years regular season. I worked it all out. Portland over the ten years, they've only won thirteen more games in the regular season than Vancouver. They've drawn fourteen more. But points-wise, that works out at a difference of they've over the ten years fifty-three more points than Vancouver, and in some seasons things have been so tight that it is just an extra win here or there, or an extra three points, or an extra four six points that gets you into the playoffs and then gets you a chance to win stuff. I was really really surprised when I saw you put up those numbers, Michael. Because I thought the gap would be so much bigger. I did as well, because that was the whole basis of my article. And now I'm looking at it and going, it's oh. Not that much. It's not that much, but all, but that much has counted in so many of the seasons, yeah. right? Or as someone famously said, it's it's fine lines, it's fine margins, right? And, and I mean, he, he's maligned for it, but it's true. It's very true. And the thing is, is they, uh, like, they've had three coaches, over the past 10 years, um, taking away Gavin Wilkinson, I think he was an interim coach at one point yeah. for a little bit. But they've had three coaches. Um, and you could say Caleb Porter isn't a high-end coach, but he was the biggest get at that time because he led Akron to such a big thing. And then uh, Giovanni Cervezzi is a high-get coach. So they've gotten coaches that are well-known, and that makes a big difference. When the Whitecaps are getting... Um, Martin Rennie, who, yeah, was a well-known in USL, but not as big as what Caleb Porter was. And then you get um, – um, and then whatever happened. Carl Robinson, fantastic coach, but they basically basically just – he was their maybe a second or third choice at that time or first choice when you compare to what they wanted to pay the coach. <laughs> so, um, so they haven't really gotten that big get a coach that can really transform a team on the field. Was was John Spencer the, their opening MLS coach? Yes, point? yes, John Spencer was. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you're you're right, and, and uh, that is some. There's something to be said about that. I've heard lots of people talk about how, especially in M, or in, ML, in football in general, but in MLS maybe specifically, there's something to be said for uh, continuity of uh, coaching and GM uh, positions, right? So like, it, it's not a league where it's great to just be like, yeah, we're having a bad year, get rid of the coach, bring in a new coach, and you've seen that in Portland. Uh, like you said, with Spencer, I think he had the shortest time, and then Porter, and then now Savarese is having a, 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 a relatively successful. I mean, he made at least one cup final, right? Well, yeah, but well, they won the MLS is, is back tournament yeah, uh, in Orlando go. in the the summer, so that's got them into the Champions but, League. But but then also off uh, off the the sidelines, you have Gavin Wilkinson, and now I know Gavin Wilkinson uh, was 
and maybe still is not highly valued among supporters in Portland. Yeah, which I've always found surprising because whenever I've had any interactions with him, and we're going to hear a little bit shortly from him, he's always been a quality guy. It's like says very well spoken about things and yeah and he seems to work well with merit and and the, i guess the biggest thing for him is he's gotten some results yeah right and that's where it's it's maybe hard to argue i mean the, the fans the one year they literally they were doing wilkinson out tifo right i remember i guess we don't know all the ins and outs of it but talking to gavin wilkinson i jumped on a, a call with him and most of it was to talk about the new season, but I wanted to ask him just about the, the 10th year anniversary of joining MLS and what growth he has seen from the Timbers in those 10 years. Here's what he had to tell me. It's going down. It's going down. I'm yelling, Timbers, you better move. You better move. You better dance. We're coming up 10 years ago, the, the first MLS game for the club. L- looking back... At the past 10 years, how have you seen the club grow and where do you see the club now as to where they were when they first came into the league? Great question, actually. And uh, that probably re- requires a longer sit down. It, it's, uh, it, it's an evolution. And one of the things that we're reminded of daily at the moment is, and it's, when I say daily drink over times, is without our fans, we're nothing. Uh, I think when you look at the lifeblood of the organization and what makes us relevant, it's not just the on-field results. It's not the, the culture of the organization. It's not the quality of the staff and the players. It's ultimately the, the fans. And, you know, to, to say that they've been mistering this latter, the, the better part of a, a year is, is an understatement. So we're looking forward to bringing them back into the stadium. But looking at the club 10 years ago to now, there is no comparison. Uh, I, I think when you talk about evolution and you, and you talk about brand recognition, expectations, uh, respect around MLS and internationally, uh, I think where we are today versus where we were 10 years ago, it's night and day. And there are a lot of individuals that, that have helped build the club over that period of time. And to, we're fortunate to have an incredible staff uh, at, at the moment that continues to propel the club forward and, and continues to set the bar higher and if you're around them on a daily basis, I think that there could only be a level of respect and admiration. But it, it, that's a, a snapshot of how I feel about the club. Simply put, we're, we've evolved in, in every way, in every way possible. Uh, when you even start to look at spend and player acquisition and importance, 10 years ago, we didn't have a Diego Valeri that uh, is seen as one of the league's best players ever. We didn't have a Diego Chara. We've now got some history. We've now got expectations and that continues to fuel us. But uh, I would say that we continue to strive uh, to win MLS Cup. And for for me, 2015 seems like a long, long time ago. And uh, there's constant pressure on a daily basis to to revisit that feeling to to win an MLS Cup. And I know that's the ambition of every MLS team. But for us, we, we do believe it's realistic. It's going down. It's going down. I'm yelling, Timber, you better move. You better move. You better dance. Giggity. Let's make a night. Bitch, you you won't dead. remember. I'll be the one. I'll be the one. You won't forget. Gavin Wilkinson there talking about the growth of the Timbers from coming into the league in 2011 to 2021. He says it's night and day. You would not recognise the team as it was back then to what it is now. Just to round 
this part off. If you look at the white caps and their growth in the 10 years. Now, we're going on about the lack of success. Did you say growth? Yeah, they have grown. Like, I was going to say, there's going to be folk going, oh, what growth? They have grown. You look at that club in 2011, and Russell touched on it in, in his chat as well, where before MLS, they were training up at SFU. Yeah. They were Didn't changing in the wrestling gym. That was their dressing room yeah. in the USL days. But the even when they went Yeah. When they went to MLS, it, Empire wasn't great, but now they've got a training centre. It's a state-of-the-art training centre. It's one of the best in North America and people rave about it. And it is a selling point to players, we've been told, that they see what their, their training facilities are. Yeah, last year and this year they can't use them much, but in general, it, it is a big selling point. And it's a, it's a great training facility. I've been lucky enough to, to get a tour around it, and it, it's wonderful. Off the pitch, front office is obviously still a bit of a mess. But I genuinely think that with Axel Schuster coming in, what he's done, how the team that he's built, I think we're starting to see changes. Now, in 10 years' time, if we're still sitting here and we've got no success, I, I want more than another Voyager's Cup in the next 10 years, then obviously it's not good. You have to land the big one. You've got to win that MLS title. We haven't brought young players through the way we should. There's been a lot of talent that's come through the residency that hasn't made it through. Are we starting to, to see the change in that now? And you can point to attitudes of players and all that kind of stuff, opportunities, taking that, everything like that. I do think there's been growth. And I think when you look at what the Whitecaps were in 2011 to what they are in 2021, MDS even this week talked about when he came in in 2018 to what it is now. It's massive, the difference that, that you're seeing. I think I think the infrastructure has, has changed for sure. I think the lack of change off the... I mean, there has been some change. But the lack of change at the very top uh, is what is what holds Vancouver back, and we'll continue to do so until that, until either, until we actually see Axel has more control uh, than maybe he's perceived to have currently, um, and, or other changes, other changes come. Well, I mean, pr pressure is on MDS and Axel to deliver, as we talked about in the last show. It's like that money's been spent; it's more money. They probably spent more money in the last two years than the, the rest of the, the eight years but, before it put together. But again, yeah, pressure's always on those positions for results. It's those other people that are there that have had a hand in results and other things about the club off the field that there seems that there's never ever, there's a, there's, there won't ever be enough pressure for there to be changes there. And that is a, that's a problem. But that is it for our look back at 2011, the inaugural game, the inaugural season, everything that went with it. We've got one more part to come and we're looking to the future, the future of Canadian soccer. It's the current under-23 team, but they're the future national team players. They're in Olympic qualifying action at the moment down in Mexico. We're going to chat a little bit about that after this. Hi, I'm Derek Cornelius and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Shoulder and the touch of the world that is older. I turn the switch and check the number. 
Welcome back to the final part of this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's a song we've played before in the show. We kind of had it as an introduction when we had Efrain Juarez here and we had chats with him. It's from 1982 by cult American band Wall of Voodoo from their Call of the West album. And that was Mexican Radio. And the reason we played that is because for this part, we're going to be turning our attentions to Mexico. We're heading down Mexico Way, remotely of course, because the CONCACAF Olympic qualifiers are underway down there as Canada try and find their way on the road to Tokyo. They've got their first game out of the way, 2-0 win over El Salvador, a full-strength El Salvador, Not like Honduras, who get to play a Haiti team that half of them weren't able to play and they had to have an outfield player as goalkeeper because of late COVID test results. So they had to really fight to get past El Salvador here. But it was a a comfortable 2-0 win in the end. There was a a few scary moments from El Salvador. James Pantemis had a a number of, of big saves in the first half that kept them at bay. But Canada needed to do what they had to do, and that was basically, you have to win that first game. You need the three points from that first game. That's just what they did. Great start to everything, guys. Yeah, the, the especially um, uh, in, in the attacking side. Like, you were wondering who was going to step up uh, going forward, and I think uh, Teon Buchanan showed that he can do that. Um, fantastic first goal, good change of pace. Um, stopped, moved forward, got it past the keeper. And then uh, the second goal, I think it was set up by Dor- Derek Cornelius actually, yeah. um, on a, on a kind of like a after the set piece it started, and it was a great strike. So fantastic strike! He almost came close to getting the uh, chance at a hat trick because he uh, he was uh, I think in the 80th minute around there that he got bowled over um, in the penalty box. So very close to it, but overall, great show by some of the Whitecaps players. Um, Patrick Metcalf, uh, somebody tweeted out that he had 100 percent passing. And oh. was able in for for a few challenges. Uh, Michael Bolissimo played about seventy two minutes or so, and uh, uh, former White Cap David Norman uh, came on in the second half at center back. Something I've been asking for a little while, but I guess it was uh, they were shorthanded, so they had to play there. But I thought he played really well at center back too. He two had some left, good moments. Two left footed center backs on the pitch at one time. Yeah, interesting. Thing. Well, yeah, I, I'm so happy for David. It's been like a year since he's played a game. Uh, yeah, good performance, good result. They'll move forward. It's always it always feels a little awkward saying, um, "Thanks, Bruce Arena, for your investment in Canadian football." <laughs> but, <laughs> um, really, he he has helped out uh, Buchanan and his development, which is helping Canada right now, which I'm very thankful for. Well, yeah, let's just talk a little bit about Buchanan. Last year was the breakout season for him with New England. It was the second season in MLS. He established himself as a starter. He started all their their playoff games, his two goals today. And the rumours are there's a lot of scouts from European teams watching him in this tournament. And if that's the case, he put in a great advertisement for him today. Would not be surprised at all if he's the next big signing overseas of a Canadian player. Yeah. I should also mention that uh, while they didn't start, uh, uh, Theo Baron Raposo came in in the 60th minute and basically took it home from there. 
Yeah, all five Whitecaps got a run out. Derek Cornelius, the experienced head in the camp. If you're a subscriber to our extra podcast, we brought one of those out on Thursday night. So there's a little bit of audio from Derek Cornelius and that, just talking about this tournament and the squad and just what what it kind of means to, to this group of players. But I mean, all the reports coming out of the January camp for Canada was that these young guys excelled down there. And in their, their scrimmages, they were the ones that got the victories against the, the senior team guys. So this is a hungry group of, of players. And they, they've, got a, they've got a tough task ahead of them. Maybe not so much in the group stages. Honduras is obviously going to be the, the tough one. That's the big game. If you, if you beat Honduras, you win the group, you're going to play the second place finisher in Group A which is going to be Mexico or the US. You have to feel it's the US. Mexico don't lose a lot on home soil. So America, I watched that game. It, they just got past Costa Rica. So I, I feel Canada's got a real chance. If they can get... I think the Honduran game could be the, the tougher of the two games between Honduras uh, and the US. Now, Honduras, it's hard to know what to make of them because they were playing a very depleted Haiti team and they only won 3-0. I'm confident for this group of guys, but I've been there before with our youth guys, especially at under-17 level, and I've been let down. But it's looking promising so far. Yeah, for sure. And and it's 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 really... Um, I kind of find it a little bit uh, concerning because I'm hoping they don't... Uh, I don't know who their next game is against, whether it's Honduras or Haiti, but I just hope it's they Haiti. don't... Yeah, because by then they might have all their players, a full squad, if the testing comes through. And I just hope that they they don't overlook them like, uh, unfortunately, the, the last Gold Cup team did. Yeah, that's the danger because these guys are going to be like fully fit as well, not having had a, a game three days previously. I just want to play a little bit of audio now from head coach Mauro Biello from post-game of that win over El Salvador today. Happy with the performance, knows it wasn't perfect, but there's a lot of good signs there from him. Let's hear what Mauro Biello had to say. Yeah, I'm happy with the with the result. Uh, I think it was uh, it was tough. Uh, it was tough uh, for the boys in terms of you know the fitness uh, of this group. But uh, very proud of, uh, you know, the way they fought, the way they uh, were able to hurt the other team in moments and, uh, you know, and closed off the game. And I think that's what was the most important. Um, you know, what I said to them is we're going to grow throughout this tournament. It's normal. Some players have just met for the first time. Uh, so it's, it's about growing and uh, very happy uh, with the result. Tejon Buchanan. Two beautiful goals, but he was all over the pitch. If you could just talk about him briefly and also about the composure of your team. Uh, it was a pretty physical El, El Salvador side that wasn't taking any prisoners, but your team seemed to react uh, with great maturity on the day. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'll start with Tejan's performance. Obviously, uh, an excellent performance. Uh, you know, everybody will see the two goals, but, you know, coaches they'll look at the work that he does and, and, and the way he tracked back in the 90th minute for me was quite impressive. Um, it's a, it's a player that's just growing. Um, you know, he had a good 
season last year in New England. Uh, came into camp with us, with the men's team in January. Showed his qualities, and, and now, uh, you know, today... Today he uh, he was focused to to show what he could do, and uh, he was able to get those two great goals. Uh, and again, the work that he puts in for the team uh, is uh, is excellent. I think uh, the composure of the of the team. I think in the second half we saw how uh, you know the, the subs made a, a difference. I think they they brought in some energy. We were able to manage the game uh, in the right in the right way. Um, not get too spread out, uh, make sure that uh, we got numbers around the ball when we attack. And if it turns over, we close it down quickly. Uh, so the boys did a good job uh, in, in that respect and uh, were able to seal uh, the victory. Uh, you spoke yesterday about the, the need to find rhythm and, and get that chemistry going. Were you happy with what you, you saw out there, especially in the first half? And how much does... Like having players on the pitch from, say, Vancouver that are used to playing with each other, how much did that help with that early integration? Yeah, I mean, for sure, that's uh, that that's uh, what we wanted to achieve is to to get that rhythm, and it's tough. It's tough. Uh, the players are not in preseason uh, are in preseason now, uh, and and only being together for a week. Uh, but like you said, players that have played with each other know, understand each other's tendencies. Uh, and I think that helps for sure. Uh, Vancouver boys, the Montreal boys, um, you know, and we had some good moments in that first half. And, and, and that's what we want to build on is continue to to increase those moments and have more consistency on the ball as as we attack. Um, but overall, I think uh, I was pleased. Uh, but like I said, we it's, it's I wasn't expecting this game to be perfect. It's about growing and, and, and getting stronger throughout this tournament. Uh, just given you know, the, the lack of chemistry and, and match fitness for all the players. What did you think of the team's ability to build from the back throughout the game and just the overall uh, defensive discipline of the side? Yeah, I think, look, we, you know, we, we've had one and a half sessions of building out of the back and there were some bumps there. Um, I think we're, we're going to continue to improve that. Uh, we're going to work on some video and, and get it right, get our distances right, get our timing right. Um, but defensively, I think uh, we worked on on our shape, and, and we knew that it would be difficult to high press this up uh, in this type of weather. Uh, so it was important for us to keep that medium block. But uh, once they come over that line, it's about being aggressive and closing those spaces. And I think they did a good job. Um, you know, we we were able to to, to close uh, the spaces between the line. It's a team that likes to operate uh, in between the lines and, and overload. Uh, and I think we managed that in the right way. So that's some thoughts there from Canada Under-23 head coach Mauro Biello on the back of Canada's 2-0 win over El Salvador. Now the fact it was 2-0 and Honduras won today 3-0, goal difference could still come into it, but I'm confident they're going to get through. Looking forward to, to seeing this. The games are on one soccer, but that's a little tip for people today. If you have a VPN, you can actually watch the CONCACAF YouTube channel if you use a UP. UK or European VPN and you can actually watch the games free on the CONCACAF YouTube channel so there's a little tip for everyone that's how I watched the game today but good luck to Canada 
talking of Canada, we're going to be back with another podcast Tuesday or Wednesday, where we're going to be speaking to Maxime Cropot, Thomas Hassal, and a few other things as well. So watch out for that dropping in your podcast feeds and wherever you get podcasts. So just before we stop our chats about Canada, because we've got more stuff coming up in the next show about Canada as well and the World Cup qualifiers. Zach, I believe you've got something to, to tell us about that's happening on Tuesday. Yeah, a while ago we were talking about uh, the Voyagers and how they are um, updating, altering, um, becoming more effective with their structure. Uh, so they, they did a survey uh, that hopefully uh, you, you cho- chose to take part in, uh, just w- wanting to know where people are at and uh, what, what people are looking for from them as a, a community. And uh, so there's a bit of an update on that. And so um, the Voyagers will be hosting a live YouTube event this coming Tuesday, March 23rd. Uh, they're going to be discussing uh, the reorganization of, of the group. Uh, they also have a couple of interviews uh, with two. They have, uh, they're they'll be interviewing two Canadian national team players, and they'll be hosting a Q&A session as well. Uh, so feel free to check out their uh, their YouTube channel for that. I don't think they've posted the time. I can't remember the time for that, but it's on Tuesday. I think it's Tuesday at 7 Eastern, so maybe 4, 4 p.m. Pacific. But go go to their channel, uh, check that out, and engage with that live if you can or, or later uh, afterwards. Sounds good. I will definitely check that out. But we're just going to finish this week's show with something that we had to cut from last week's show. I don't like cutting wavelength out of any show. It's Football Violence Awareness Month here on AFTN. Here's a song by the Foreskins all about how football fans are portrayed against some other thugs in the community by the, the media in the UK. This is One Law for Them.
The Foreskins there, one law for them from 1982, from their Good, the Bad and the Foreskins album. So that is it for this week's show. It's another long one. It's a Terry Dunfield-esque performance tying it in with the 2011 squad and stuff like that. But just before we go, guys, let everyone know where they can find you online, starting with Steve. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. Uh, for me on Twitter, it's at ZacharyM. I'm Michael McCall. Find me on Twitter at AFT in Canada. Find us on YouTube. Hopefully a lot of you watched our chat with Gershon Kofi. We're going to be having more stuff coming up, including our watch-along and post-game show live on YouTube for the season opener against Portland on April, April 18th. It's a Sunday, 7 o'clock. Watch for that. So please like, subscribe and give us a thumbs up. Also find us on Instagram at AFT and Soccer. And check out all our stuff on AFTN. Away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. We've got a lot of stuff up to do with that inaugural game and we've got more stuff coming up as well, including a great little piece from Peter Hicken all about the Canadian national team and their prospects for the World Cup qualifiers and the Gold Cup. But that is it for this week's show. We'll be back soon with another one. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care and mon the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Mm-hmm.